Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Gary. And today we have a very special Best Picture Showdown, probably the one I've been anticipating the most uh, that we've done in the show so far. It's 2007, the 80th Academy Awards. Uh, of course, No Country for Old Men is the winner. That's the movie we'll be covering mostly on this show, on this episode. We're going to you know, look at the Best Picture group and rank them, which also includes There Will Be Blood, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Atonement. Juno and Michael Clayton, just a really, really solid group for best picture. This is right before, uh, you know, 2007 and then 2008 is the last year where they had five best picture nominees and then they exploded it. Uh, I heard recently, uh, I was listening to Bill Hader, uh, one of the greatest SNL uh, cast members of all time, talk about No Country and his, his adoration for it. And he, he was talking about this year's Academy Awards and he was like, you got to think that the reason they went from five to, to, to nine or 10 is because this year is so goddamn dark. <laughs> he, he's like, they had to get more spots in there just so they could get a little bit of love, you know, a little bit of joy. You know, your head, your headliners are, are Javier Bardem and, and Daniel day Lewis, just fucking destroying everything in their path. <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious. And, and it's, it, it's true. You know, um, this group is, is tough. It's a tough one. It, when Juno is the most lighthearted movie out of a group, that's when you know you, you got fucking problems, right? Um, yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna to talk a lot about the 80th, 80th Academy Awards. We're going to talk about some individuals from No Country because there's a lot of badasses involved in the movie. And you and I are going to also give awards out to uh, No Country for Old Men at the end of the show. So let's just jump right in. Talk about the fucking Coens. I mean, this is... For you and I, this is kind of like the back of our hand type stuff. We love the Coens with all of our hearts. And while some of their some of their best work, our favorite work, is not really recognized by the Academy, some of their some of their best stuff is recognized. And they are truly amazing. And I think No Country could be looked at as their as their masterpiece, their dramatic masterpiece. Um, my personal favorite, and I think I speak for you as well, is, is Lebowski. Yeah, yeah, no, no contest. Yeah, yeah, it's really tough to, to, to break that. But I think when you're talking about, you know, they're more, um, you know, even their serious stuff, like there's funny moments in No Country, that little sly humor. It's just, it's not Lebowski, you know, it's not Raising Arizona. It's, there's a clear, clear difference. And I, I think this one just technically is, is so fucking outstanding, you know, and that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, the guys that are at play with them, you know, Roger Deakins, of course, this is one of his better performances behind the camera. They got Javier Bardem at the right time in his late thirties when he just looked, he looked the exact way you need him to for this character. Tommy Lee Jones, you know, Javier, uh, Josh Brolin, Woody Harrelson, just perfect the way it kind of lined up. And uh, it, it is probably my, my second favorite of, of their work, but I want to look at, you know, their, their career when it comes to the Oscars, I think, uh, the only other movie we've covered of theirs on here is Fargo. Is that correct? Yeah, 85 episodes in, and we've been pretty um, what's like we've we've restrained ourselves, you know. This is only our second Cohen Brothers. We've still only done Tarantino one time. Like it's I'm I'm kind of impressed with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is it, it is uh difficult to not just line up your favorites and just fucking do them all. But but the the the, the Academy's history is so vast. And has, has so much to offer. Like, like next week, we're going to be doing a movie neither of us have ever seen. You know, we like to do that every now and again, too. So uh, we'll be we'll be shouting that movie out later on in the episode before we leave. So stick with us. Uh, Coens. 
Fargo is the is the big one, right? You know, um, nominated for best film editing, both of them, Joel and Ethan, uh, nominated for best picture, right? This is this is a big big deal, and then one screenplay, uh, the the Coen Brothers together. So that's that's kind of when they made their splash, and it was like look out for these guys, even though they have they had been around for twelve years making great stuff, you know, Blood Simple and Miller's Crossing and Raising Arizona and Barton Fink, Hudsucker Proxy. These movies kick ass, but it was Fargo that kind of broke that broke that Oscar glass. Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the Coens, their films are on a vast spectrum. On one side, at the very end, you've got The Big Lebowski. And at the other end, you've got No Country for Old Men. And to me, everything else falls in between those two extremes. But mm. it shows their impressive um, range as filmmakers to do something that's ridiculous about a stoner stumbling into a kidnapping conspiracy that's not even real and a psychotic hunting down a rancher for $2 million of drug money. Like, and they can, and both of them are masterpieces. Like, I just, I think these guys are the most creative geniuses in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, I think, is this probably our mutual, along with, I would say, Tarantino, this is probably our mutual favorite filmmakers of, of all time, I would say, probably. The Coens is something we bonded over, like, very quickly when yeah. we met. This is the first conversation we ever had was about the Coen brothers. Yeah, 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 and they just, ah, man, they're just, they're just really special. While they have some, they have some films that I'm not crazy about, they're, they're so prolific, and they can't help themselves, and Speaking of, you know, uh, Macbeth is now is, you know, out in theaters and is going to be uh, available on Apple TV plus for everybody to see. So they're just always working, right? Always, always trying to master their craft. And I, I have so much respect for it. And it's just so weird that no country is 15 years old now. Like so <laughs> weird. It's so incredible. This movie has, has aged so well. Uh, next movie. No, oh brother, where art thou? They were nominated for a screenplay. And I know this is one of your favorites. I love Oh Brother. I literally watched this not four days ago, just for kicks. I was like, let's watch Oh Brother. It's so rewatchable. It's hilarious. It's a great retelling of the Odyssey. It's got some incredible performances. It, you know, kind of uh, redeemed George Clooney in the eyes of Hollywood, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's a fun, hilarious, weird movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. I, I think it's one of the more, uh, rewatchable just kind of like you just going back for grand old time you know uh you're gonna have a lot of fun great great cast really unique cast and uh like you said george clooney just kind of kind of at his best right there and also for me at his best in a movie we're gonna be talking about later fucking michael clayton <laughs> i love clooney in that movie so good uh after that uh, it's it's no country for old men and this is they, they put on a fucking show with the 80th, 80th academy awards eight total nominations four wins uh, the Coen brothers nominated for uh, film editing and they used, they used the name Roderick James for, for, for that one. Right. You know, those uh, little trick they like to pull, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is so much fun. Uh, and then they, they won together. They won for adapted screenplay directing and best picture. It's just this, this, you know, triumph. And we're going to talk a lot about this. It's a, it's basically against Paul Thomas Anderson and it's this heads up, race that was happening even even when i was back then when i was 12 13 years old uh when these movies came out in 2007 and 
uh, I didn't quite, I didn't quite wrap my head around. I still knew it was a race because I could hear like, my parents would talk about it. Like, oh, they thought they were they were clear uh, fans of No Country. They were like, No Country is the better movie type thing. And I remember hearing people go the other way. And I'm still, I don't know. You know, I, I'm. It's going to take me this whole episode to figure out which movie I think is is more deserving of Best Picture. They're both so good, both eight nominations, and it's just really cool the way they kind of lined up. And, and, and PTA versus the Coens is a fun looking at their filmography, right? You know, PTA has way less. He has like half as many movies, but the Coens, they're, they're doing something completely different. They, they, they operate in different, you know, uh, sandbox, if you will. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, the Coens said that uh, when they won screenplay for, for No Country for Old Men, they said, thank you for letting, letting us play in this little corner of, our, of the sandbox. We, you know, we, we highly appreciate it. I think in the other corner of the sandbox is Paul Thomas Anderson kind of doing his own thing. And I love that. Yeah, quite literally a giant sandbox called Texas where they were filming right yes. next to each other. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And then of course the, uh, the famous scene in, in there'll be blood where, uh, Henry Plainview loses his hearing and there's the giant, giant fire. Uh, no country was, 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 they were shooting, the Coens were shooting their film, uh, you know, Deacons and all these guys are there, right? It's crazy to think about. Uh, and you can see, they, they could see the fire in their shot from, you know, and it's like, wait, 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 what are you doing? You know, you're fucking up our shot. And PTA is like, I don't care. This is my shot. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. This is like the, one of the biggest moments of my film. I have to have it. So this giant fucking fire that cost a ton of money, uh, you know, very cool. I have two things I wanted to say about this kind of Coens versus Anderson night at the Oscars. First off, the Coens acceptance speech for director. They had already won for screenplay. Then they won for director. And I love their speech. They just went up there and was like, uh, we, we pretty much said everything we wanted to say. So uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of it. <laughs> and then <laughs> at the time, I think 2007, I think we were what, 12? Yes. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> well, well, at, at this show, at this Oscars, we both would have just turned 13 because the uh, both of our birthdays are in January. That's right. The, this uh, this ceremony was February 24th, 2008. So we would have been just turned 13, which is, you know, your mind is opening to whole new things and movies are starting to really take over. Yeah. At the time, I didn't really appreciate. I, I didn't watch like any of these movies. I was just, you know, I loved movies. I didn't care if I'd seen them or not. I was just like, ooh, the Oscars. And um I remember the clip they played for Daniel Day-Lewis was when he's at Eli's church screaming, I've abandoned my child. And even then I was like, Jesus, (laughs) that's a performance. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that guy's going to win. And then later on, I'm like, oh, that's why. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is, I I would credit 2007 for being uh, one of the film years that really got like piqued my interest in these kinds of films, like Oscar nominated films and, the more, you know, what's seen as kind of more prestigious and, you know, uh, films that, that really matter to culture. And I, it, it just piqued my interest like that. I, I remember that Daniel Day-Lewis, that, that bit when they do those, the, they used to do those fucking badass montages of all the, all the performances. And, and it was like, this is why they're nominated. Uh, and I loved that. I loved that about it. I was really interested in Juno. I remember I was like, what, like, what is this? You know, I want to see this movie. It looks kind of fun and quirky and, and, you know, I, I had, I had seen a little Miss sunshine from the year previous and it was kind of, kind of seemed like the same kind of pace and same kind of tone. 
uh, and Michael Clayton, I was like, what? You know, and little did I know that they used to make movies like Michael Clayton in the 70s and 80s fucking every goddamn week, you know? And I was like, oh, this is, this is really cool. And uh, an atonement, you know, uh, is just one of those classic Best Picture nominees, just period piece that's just fucking incredible, you know, great costumes, great acting, all that stuff. And, uh, and this year was just, just big for me, just kind of piquing my interest. Like, what is this stuff, you know? And the first time I saw No Country was uh, in 2009 when I, I finally got a chance to watch it because my family went to Europe. Uh, we flew there and I, they had it on the plane. So I could watch it on the little screen in front of me. And I was like, what is this? You know? So I was 14 years old and I, I, had, I had known about no country, right. From the Oscars and, and, and whatnot, but it wasn't, I, I didn't have access to it. And then finally that happened and it was so cool and open, opened my whole world up. And shortly after I saw there will be blood and so on and so forth. And I just got to give a lot of credit to this group, you know, uh, there's there's been Oscar years where it just kind of jolts me to get more interested and more excited, yeah. and I'd say this is right up there with with one of the top ones. This one in uh, 2014 was huge for me. Uh, 2019 was a great year for for Best Picture nominees. It just it just gets me a little bit more amped. And I, I love that about it. 2014 is probably the definitive year for me. That was the first year where I made it my mission to see all the nominations for Best Picture, and, re- and I was really paying attention to these films. And it's no coincidence that, that that's the year um, Caleb and I started the Filmgasm website. I mean, that was just kind mm. of the year of me kind of revamping everything I knew, I thought I knew about film and really kind of rebooting with a new mindset. And I never looked yeah. back. Yeah. And, you know, good, good, fantastic for you. You know, you, you, you're, you're still like reaping the benefits of just kind of realizing how much bigger it is than, than you, than you knew or realized or thought, you know, yeah. and that continues to happen to us today. You know, you read just like, Holy shit. You know, there's a lot of great stuff out there <laughs> and, and, and it's occasionally okay to look to the Oscars for, for some kind of a reference or recommendation. Uh, Jesus, one of my favorite Cohen films, uh, uh, probably my third favorite is a, a serious man. And that was nominated for best original screenplay and best picture of the year uh, from 2009. Love that movie to death. It's my favorite movie from 2009. It's just, it, it meshes their stuff so well. Just it's fucking silly at times. Has some dialogue like No Country where you're, you should just be sitting there for five minutes, like kind of dissecting it. And I love that about their, their screenplays. Very, very cool. Uh, the following year, 2010, one of their more underrated films, True Grit, uh, up for Best Adapted Screenplay, Directing, and Best Picture. Just a wonderful movie. One of my favorite Jeff Bridges performances. Uh, I don't think that one gets enough praise. Yeah, you're right. That movie's remarkably underrated. Uh, you know, on 10 nominations, zero wins. I always hate to see that. But yeah, yeah. And this one to just see, you know, Jeff work with the Coens again was exciting. And it's such a cool movie. It's, it beats the shit out of John Wayne's version. That's for damn sure. Oh, yeah. I like when a remake does does the things better, you know, that, that, that it failed, you know, 30 years earlier. What's crazy about True Grit, it comes out in 2010, right? 12 years ago. If you and I were seeing True Grit in theaters together in 2010, in 2010, Big Lebowski came out 10 years, uh, 12 years before that. Really weird. True Grit's the midway point between Big Lebowski and now. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking that's, weird. That's awesome. Oh, I love that. It doesn't, it doesn't really add up for me. I'm like, wait a minute. Because <laughs> Lebowski, 
uh, probably because I saw True Grit in theaters, you know, at, at age 15. And I was like, well, this is awesome. This is great. I remember who I saw it with. I remember what theater I saw it at. And uh, Lebowski, obviously, th- at three years old, I was not seeing that one in theaters. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think maybe that's why it seems so distant, Big Lebowski. It's this thing that it's this thing I, I didn't get to really be a part of when it was when it was coming out. And I, I, I hate that. <laughs> The Big Lebowski is such a, a big deal in my family. I remember just as a kid finding the, like the VHS or the DVD of the movie and inquiring, like, what is this? And every time my mom or my uncle would be like, you'll, you'll see, like, later, like, not, not yet, you're too young. And then one day rolled around, we were at a beach house, and they brought it. And I watched it for the first time with my mom and dad, and I could not stop laughing. I was like, this is yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's just incredible. And I don't know. We've never talked about that that movie like properly on any of our shows, and I just I I, I don't even know how to go about it because it's just this monumental movie for 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 most cinephiles, and especially for you and I, is this this kind of tentpole in our friendship. And I don't even know how how to even go about that, you know, because it can't be on here. wasn't up wasn't nominated for anything. Damn shame. Uh, I I don't know. Film guys in one day. Yeah, it's gonna make a significant and fun filmgasm in the near future. That's for damn sure. Hell yeah. Good shit. Uh, these, these last two Cohen's uh, nominated for original screenplay, Bridge of Spies, 2015. And then uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs adapted screenplay, 2018. Both, both solid movies, solid flicks. Uh, I really liked Buster Scruggs. That was really cool to see that one just on Netflix. I was like, what, you know, this is cool. I'm just watching a fucking Cohen film uh, on on Netflix, and that was the same year, uh, 2018. That was the same year, uh, Alfonso Crohn's uh, Roma came out just on Netflix, and I was like, What? This is this is too good to be true, you know. And that yeah. that that came, you know, that's still happening. But I remember at that time, it was it was weird for these auteurs to just, Yeah, here's here's my work. I just felt like Leo in the aviator in that bathroom, just being like, The way of the future, the way of the future. Yeah, <laughs> this, <laughs> this, is, this is film like for the next. 20 something years until whatever the next step is rolls around. I love it, man. That's great. The Cohen, the Coens are awesome. If there was one movie aside from Lebowski, let's, let's cut that one out. If there was one movie that you think for sure should have been up for, you know, screenplay or directing, what, what is it? Easily Miller's crossing. Easily. Okay. okay. That is such an underrated, cool gangster film. Uh, very uh, put together kind of like a, uh, inspired by um, Kurosawa's Yojimbo and uh, Leone's A Fistful of Dollars. Definitely has that mm. same story of like one man pitting rival families against one another, but executed in such a memorable way with such vibrant characters and incredible performances. Mm. I think like, you know, Gabriel Byrne, John Polito and Albert Finney all should have been up for acting noms. It should have been up for cinematography, screenplay, picture. Like that movie is one of their secret masterpieces. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. So so good. That one and Barton Fink have always been kind of like, what? Why are why are those not in my mind? Why are those not right up there? You know, yeah. uh, it's frustrating. It happens. You know, shit happens. Uh, I think I think you could make the case for a lot of a lot of their stuff though that should have got more nominations. Um, but I think the ultimate the ultimate fuck up is not not is is specifically Albert Finney and and Miller's Crossing. He is fucking lights out like scary 
has some of their some of their best Cohen scenes ever involve him. And I, I'll, I'll never really be able to forget his face, his haircut, you know, all that all that different stuff. He's so good in that movie. I think um, that should have been Turturro's moment as well. Probably, it's yeah. In the you know at Miller's Crossing, begging for his life. I mean, you don't like you don't get a lot of scenes better than that in a film. No, and and there, Miller's Crossing specifically is is uh, is one of the Coens where it makes me think, like God, actors deserve so much better, you know, because the Coens give it to them, right? They give they give their actors these genius genius lines, whether they be from books or not. They they provide them with this incredible dialogue, and have have this just uncanny ability to to do things in a simple way. And the simplicity of even No Country for Old Men is like, what? These guys are masters. And it's like they they don't need I, I respect all kinds of filmmakers, but I'll, I'll, you know, I think I prefer the simplicity and the kind of rawness of the Coens over someone who's freaky, uh, controlling like David Fincher, who's just like, we gotta do 70 takes and then pick the very best one. The Coens are like, no, that was good. That was good. We did three takes. That was good. We're going to roll with that. You know, they're famous for uh, that, that rawness, that, that kind of uh, the reaction they get from their actors just doing it a couple times is one of those is probably the best. And I love that about them. Well, I love that their films are so lean. There's no yeah. fat on any of them. There's no overindulgence. Every scene is exactly the right amount you need for this film to work everything they've ever done has been like that. And I, yeah. I wish more filmmakers had that kind of self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 again, I love all kinds of filmmakers, but there's something about the Coens that's like, that's who I would want to work for. You know, uh, it's, it seems like a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, you know, what's crazy though about 2007 is if, I mean, maybe my favorite movie from that year is Zodiac, right? <laughs> And the, the fact that that's not there is kind of, it kind of stole something from us because we could have gotten Fincher, Paul Thomas Anderson and the Coens in the same group. And that would have just been, that would have been not right. <laughs> that's too much. <laughs> that's amazing. I'll never understand how Zodiac got completely shut out. I mean, it is one of the great, one of the, one of the best films of the year, one of Fincher's best movies. What happened? I think it is his best movie and that sucks. It sucks that, I think I think uh, you know it's runtime doesn't doesn't help it right. It's like three well, hours plus. But a lot of but a lot of best picture movies will just push it and push it and push it. And Zodiac doesn't really have a lot of shit that you can cut out. No. It's all it's all really good. <laughs> Zodiac is like ten minutes longer than There Will Be Blood. I mean, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't think runtime is runtime's never really been an issue with the Oscars. No, um, uh. uh I think our next, or no, 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 I was looking at, you and I were talking about some other best picture showdowns to do. And we were talking about, there's a specific year that we were, we are definitely going to do uh, in 2022. And one of the films is like three hours plus, And I was just like, Christ, every fucking ceremony has one of those bastards. That's just, <laughs> and it's probably not going to even be that good, <laughs> but you know, it's always worth it to just kind of, and I'm not going to say check them off. It's always good to just experience them. And even if it's for, even if it's for one time, I, I like being able to say I've seen it and have an actual opinion about it, even if it's three or four hours. Well, there's certain films that I think like the best thing about watching them is that I never have to watch them again. 
Mm. certain like that's the that's what keeps me going on some of these movies like if i just sit down and watch this for four and a half hours this is the last time i have to do that yeah like i liked we covered the ten commandments last last easter yeah i liked it but i'm not ever watching it again i'm not ever gonna sit and watch the entire film again no way not no way (laughs) not no how i might watch clips from it just like oh yeah this is good you know but i'm not gonna sit down and let's check out the ten commandments y'all you know it's not happening (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I bought the Blu-ray for the show. Now it's on the shelf and there it shall remain. Yes. I'm good. good. Yes. (laughs) Uh, That's great. All right. Uh, I could talk about the Coens forever. I think we both could. They're the best. Um, This is one of my favorite casts uh, of theirs uh, in No Country. It's just just, one of my favorite lines from the movie is when uh, Josh Brolin says, what is this guy, the ultimate badass? And I'm like, are you talking about Javier Bardem? Or Tommy Lee Jones or Woody Harrelson. I don't know. Or Roger Deakins. I'm not sure. So we're going to talk about all these guys. Josh Brolin first. Uh, I see him as, even though his, uh, his arc is, is, is odd and is one of, the, one of the things people complain about with the movie is, is his, his, his death later on in the film. It's one of my favorite touches of the whole movie is that touch that they don't really show you. He just, he's treated like another fucking regular dude. You know, uh, you don't get this crazy dramatic close up. You don't get, you know, you just have the tracking shot of Tommy Lee Jones walking and then there's Josh, there's fucking Moss just laying there. He's dead. That's it. And we move on. Uh, Josh Brolin, it's a damn shame. He only has one nomination in his whole career. It's for Milk, uh, Best Supporting Actor, 2008. I love him in Milk, but he has far better work. You know, I, w- I would even, I would even say, uh, Guy, another guy we've been talking about, Paul Thomas Anderson. His role in Inherent Vice as Bigfoot is is legendary and is probably my favorite favorite little little piece in that film. Uh, he is he has played one of the greatest, uh, not just superhero villains, but villains I've ever seen in Thanos uh, uh, in the later stages of the MCU. And he is frightening. His voice is incredibly commanding. Yeah. Uh, I love this guy, and I can't believe he wasn't out for No Country. I can't believe it. Yeah, I this was his uh, the beginning of kind of a significant career comeback for Josh Brolin. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of just, you know, been stuck in TV movies for a while. And for me, he'll always be brand from the Goonies. That was what I. Yeah. With him. Yeah. Yeah. The Goonies and thrashing from the 80s for like, that's where he like, that's where he. Yeah. Yeah. That fucking skating movie. It's terrible. But uh, he was like a child actor. And then. Yeah. He's a legacy. Um, you know, yeah. yeah. His dad, James Brolin. Uh, yeah, big guy in the seventies, eighties, and now you know Josh Brolin has he came into his own as a power player, and yeah, I don't think anyone could have played Thanos as like nuanced as he did. It was very impressive mm-hmm. work, and then yeah, and No Country for Old Men. He's, I guess, he's the closest we've got to a hero in this movie, but he's no hero. I mean, he's you know a rancher who stumbled onto a. a drug bust or a drug meeting took two million dollars and is being hunted by a psychopath he's done nothing to be redeemable in our eyes like in fact there's something i'm going to point out later so i'll just i'll save that but um yeah i think he's fantastic in this movie yeah i do too it's probably my favorite role of his i love him to death in sicario uh i think he's i think he's great as thanos i love him in hair vice uh I also, a movie that I think is quite underrated is a, a film called Only the Brave from 2017. Hmm. 
and he, he plays a uh, firefighter. Uh, he's kind of uh, takes Miles Teller under his wing. Uh, then uh, their, their, their group is called, I think the hot shots. And they like, they take down like huge forest fires and he's kind of the leader of it. And he's perfect. He's just perfect. Uh, this guy, I mean, the stuff he's been in the past few years, I mean, of course, playing Thanos, he was in Dune. He plays a pretty, pretty nice little role in Dune. He was Cable and Deadpool too. Like these are, not only are these massive paychecks, but he, he delivers, he delivers in them. You know, he's, he's a straight up a lister at this point. Yeah. And I, I love, I love that it started with no country. You know, uh, I'll always, I say, <laughs> I say the line when he gets up to go back to the scene, when he says, fix and do something dumber than hell, but I'm going to do it anyways. I say that all the time. <laughs> I love that line so much. And, uh, yeah, this character is really cool. I also like the connection of uh, his first name, Llewellyn, uh, to Lewin Davis uh, from the Coen Brothers 2013 film. One of my favorites of theirs, too. Uh, just great stuff. The Coens are the, the best, man. They're so good at using cool actors. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite Josh Brolin roles, um, honestly, is uh, Men in Black 3. As young there you go. Agent K, his ability to channel... Tommy Lee Jones in that film, I don't think gets enough recognition. He did a fantastic job. And isn't that great? Yeah. Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. <laughs> Damn it. Tommy Lee Jones, motherfucker. <laughs> well, well, we'll hold off on Tommy Lee. Let's talk about Javier Bardem first. Uh, Christ almighty. This is uh, one of the most talented guys alive right now. I, I, I think so. I think he, <laughs> think he's, I think he's right up there with uh, just straight up one of the best performers that's 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 working right now uh his first nomination was for uh before night falls best actor in a lead role uh he won the oscar for his role in no country for old men best supporting actor uh and then he was nominated for uh beautiful in 2010 uh for best actor in a lead role so uh you could you could make the argument it's really weird that tommy lee jones is nominated for best actor in no country and javier bardem's supporting uh when if you look up their run times, Javier Bardem is in the film more. He shows up more, but he's a but he's a he's straight up a villain. And Tommy Lee Jones is the sheriff who's kind of he has the final say in the film, right? The the film ends with his dialogue and opens with his dialogue. So uh that's tough. But this guy, Javier, is is why I think people still talk about this movie so much. Uh of course, the tech, technical side of it, the Coens are working great, the dialogue is great. Uh, direction is, is, is incredible, but Javier delivers something so special. It's right on par with, uh, you know, JK Simmons and, and whiplash. Uh, it's right up there with Heath Ledger and the dark Knight. you know, the very best supporting roles of all time. You have to throw Javier Bardem, no country and Tanshagur in there. Well, let's sit. I'll put it like this. Uh, recently there was a, um, psychiatric magazine that went through thousands of hours of film Yes. To determine like the most definitive uh, depiction of a psychopath in cinema history. And this is the performance that they landed on. That alone should tell you everything you need to know about why this guy deserved and did win this Oscar. Uh, he is absolutely bone chilling as Anton Chigurh. This is a man who cannot be reasoned with, to quote the Terminator, cannot be bargained with does not sleep does not eat he will not stop this is like it's almost like he's too evil to make enemies he just handles his problems like there is no nobody's ever going after him 
and he's made a damn like he's made sure of that it's it's brilliant um i was watching um javier bardem talk about this role um on a gq inside the actor studio kind of thing mm. and he said he was playing anton as if he was constantly a slave to a higher power that was making him kill like this the coin toss like not his call he's like damn now i have to do this as per the rules and you get that vibe of like well here it goes now i got to deal with this like it's so it's, it's like he's playing two people it's it's very cool and very creative and terrifying and you never once doubt for a second that this guy's gonna win <laughs> it's just something about him you're like yeah he's gonna kill moss he's gonna take this mine yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, There's not very many characters where I'm, I have that feeling of like, ah, fuck me, you know, when they come on the screen. But I'm also like, let's fucking go, Anton. Like, what are you going to do next? You know, what weird weapon are you about to use? How are you going to kill this next guy? You know, uh, God, he's so good in this movie. And, and I'll, I'll just say this because I know you feel the same way. What a damn shame he wasn't nominated for Skyfall. He is unbelievably frightening that movie as well and you know i think the oscars are just allergic to james bond a little bit it, not in technical awards but definitely in performance they always there's some amazing performance uh, performances throughout the bond franchise particularly in the villain category and silva is right up there like james bond's fucking joker and he's just he's a great presence he's threatening presence javier just has this aura about him of like you know, I'm probably a nice guy, but I will fuck your shit up if I'm playing a villain. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I love I love this guy. He's the he was the first Spanish nominated uh, performer ever and the first Spanish winner ever. So pretty, pretty cool. Kind of crazy. It took that long uh, to recognize first, uh, from like Spanish from Spain. You mean? Yeah, Spain. Yeah. OK, yeah, not, 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 not Latino, but yeah, actually. Yeah, Spain. Yeah, Spanish. Yeah. Oh, he's. Yeah, he's he's breathtaking. We'll be talking about him some more later, I'm sure, <laughs> as we give out our awards and talk about scenes and lines. And yeah, he's going to come up. <laughs> uh, he's just got he's got some great stuff. Um, and my, my mistake, uh, I saw this is actually uh, I love learning. This is partly why we do the show. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones was not nominated for No Country. He was nominated for Best Actor in a Lead Role for In the Valley of Ela, 2007. Ah. So s- same year. What a great year for him. Jesus. Yes. In the Valley uh, of Ella, that's such an underrated film. That's a really powerful movie. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's great and cool to see. Cool to see his name there, right? Uh, sorry, lost to There Will Be Blood's uh, Daniel Plainview. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it ain't. Yeah, you ain't taking that. <laughs> uh, his first nomination is for uh, uh, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, JFK, nineteen ninety one. Just tremendous. Uh, and then he won Best Actor in a Supporting Role, nineteen ninety three, The Fugitive. Great stuff. Uh, in the Valley of Ella, 2007, and then nominated again for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Lincoln, 2012. Uh, JFK, come on. <laughs> Just one of the most well-cast, most absurd, out-there, far-reaching, awesome movies I've ever seen in my life. It's the only movie from 1991 that can go toe-to-toe with Sounds of the Lambs for me. Uh, yeah, I love that movie to death. JFK is... I knew I was going to like that movie. It just took me years to finally watch it. Three hours is intimidating, regardless of whether or not, you know, it's a subject matter that you are fascinated by. Three hours is a lot of time to put into one movie. 
Yeah. However, JFK earns every second of that. It really is a powerful film that really convinces you that some 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 wonky shit went down in Dallas. Anyway, um, yeah, so that ensemble yeah. like Tommy Lee is just one of the guys who could have taken that spot. I mean, Gary Oldman, fucking Costner rocks it. John Candy, like, what the hell is going on in that movie? Everyone, yeah. is just giving their all. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, really, really good stuff. And Tommy Lee, should he have been nominated for supporting role, uh, supporting actor in No Country? Uh, I don't, uh, I don't think so. Tough. I, I think tough. he's good, but I think Javier is fantastic. I think Brolin probably could have scored a nomination. I think he's very good. Um, Tommy Lee, I think he's better in, in the Valley of Ella. I think they got it right this time. That's fair. That's fair. If, if they give out Oscars for best voice, then Tommy Lee should get it for no country. He, he's so broken in this movie, you know, and there, there's definitely uh, stories from his past that you would love to see on screen. Right. But that's just not the point. That's not where we catch him, you know? Yeah. And, and the ending, <laughs> the ending of this movie, which I think some people, it kind of steers people in the, the opposite direction the last 20 minutes or so for me, it just sticks it perfectly. It took me, probably three viewings to really, really grasp like, okay, I see exactly what they're going for here. I see the ending with Javier Bardem and the two kids, the two younger guys, the guy gives them the shirt and they start arguing about the money that he gives them all that, all those little things within the plot, within the, the, the dialogue. I started to understand after a couple of viewings uh, and the ending, I just, I'm, I'm completely blown away by uh, him talking about his two dreams, just Tommy Lee, just, knocks that shit out of the park. And I can't remember the woman who plays his wife, what her name is. Uh, she plays Loretta in the movie. She's fucking, she's fucking Jesse Pinkman's mom and breaking bad. What the fuck? Tess Harper. Yeah. She's, really? She's uh she's Jesse's mom. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Really weird. Like, huh. Just a year later, she appears in breaking bad as, as Jesse's mom. Yeah. Oh, strange. That's cool. I, 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 I immediately thought, like, what if Tommy Lee Jones is his dad? <laughs> his, his real dad. <laughs> well, then he uh, wouldn't have turned out such a, you know, junky fuck up. <laughs> yeah, Tommy Lee wouldn't have that. Yeah, no way. Uh, <laughs> so good. Uh, last performer we're going to talk about is Woody Harrelson. Ah. Woody Harrelson plays Carson Wells, who is in about 10 minutes of the movie. But he's He's fucking going for it, man. He's going for it. It's like he's uh, batting a thousand percent for just this little tiny space he has to operate. He's so good. He plays. Um, this is one of my favorite performances for someone who is shitting their pants, but trying to keep it together, you know, and just like fucking go to hell. Like you can tell he wants to just cry like a little baby, but he's because he's like, I'm going to die. <laughs> and he can't he can't he's gonna he's gonna remain a fucking texan badass you know and and it's just it's he he sells it so well uh he's been nominated three times first 1996 best actor in a lead role the people versus larry flint great great movie uh then he was nominated for supporting actor uh in the messenger 2009 and then three billboards outside ebbing missouri 2017 which i'm not quite sure uh that film that whole plot line is like really out of left field and 
but he's great. And I, I, I'm, I'm cool with it because he's wonderful. And the stuff with his, his wife and his two, two, two daughters, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, is really touching and really good. But I, I just remember some of the stuff in Three Billboards. I'm like, where, where the fuck did this come from? You know, uh, that's just Martin's style. Do you happen to know off the top of your head who uh, was the cinematographer for Three Billboards? No, I don't. I will look it up, though. Because it feels so much like a Cohen movie. I don't know what it is it, about that film, but it has that vibe. Martin, Martin Bruges could be, could be a Cohen. Yeah, he's, he's, got some, he's got Cohen's on his mind. Cohen's and Tarantino are on his mind, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's like an amalgamation of all of my favorite filmmakers. Yeah, which, which I'm, I'm totally cool with, you know, I'm... I'm yeah. I'm on, I'm on board. I, I like three billboards. Um, it's one, it's a movie I would love to do on this show just to kind of, just to kind of fucking bullshit about it. Uh, I think it's gotten some major backlash, but I really like it. And, and Woody Harrelson's a big part of it. The cinematographer is Ben Davis. I recognize that name. Uh, oh, that's cause he's a, a, a Marvel guy. Okay. Uh, Guardians of the galaxy, Eternals, Captain Marvel. Damn. So he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a recent, recent marvel guy he did a, a fucking doctor strange uh age of ultron um uh, yeah he did guards of the galaxy just the first one uh he did he did seven psychopaths another another martin martin classic uh kick ass yeah good pretty interesting interesting filmography there yeah well i was just curious i wanted to know if it was like is it a deacons i don't know about but just yeah, yeah, yeah. Some about that movie. Maybe it's just Francis McDormand's involvement, or I think McDonough could definitely. I mean, I don't know if he'd list the Coens as his influences, but maybe subconsciously. Yeah, well, there's definitely something there with the the humor that's that's placed in places that are norm are not normal for audiences. You know, just kind of. Sometimes the best move in, in filmmaking is to just simply do opposite of what the audience, the mainstream audience is used to. And I think the Coens, they've stuck to that their entire careers. And I think Martin is someone who's, who's done that over, especially uh, in Bruges, Psychopaths, you know, I, I think those movies have a feel to them that's just kind of, kind of silly and slapstick and but also has this very serious undertone and oh yeah death and death you know death is involved and i feel like three billboards is the antithesis of that it's a serious movie with like just the right amount of comedy yeah it's it's yeah yeah and, and mcdormand's certainly she's so good at that you know she's so good at being funny while being inside of a very very serious scene uh, i love that about her she's she's obviously the perfect pairing for the Coens, you know, um, she's someone who's very vital to their, to their filmography. It would be really cool if she just showed up for a little bit, no country. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. This is actually like, apart from, I think Steven Root, this is all newcomers to them. This is, they're working with everybody in this movie for the first time. Uh, yeah. Be cool. And Steven Root is not, you know, this like fucking mega star. He's a guy that, you know, He's he's a guy that you you really have to. He's one of those guys, but you really you really got to know your stuff to yeah to recognize Root right away. Yeah, I he he popped up in uh this week's episode of the Book of Boba Fett, and I'm like, what, Stephen Root? 
He's just perfect. I love that guy. Um, Me too. One of my, one of my favorite things he's ever done is that, that, that uh, stint that he's in in Fargo season one, he's friends with Billy Bob Thornton and uh, Billy Bob Thornton's always like aces, you know, (laughs) and uh, he's living like in Kansas city or something. I, I can't, I can't, Totally remember. It's been a while since I've seen that, but he kills, he kills him. Billy Bob Thornton kills Steve Rude. And he's like, is this what you want, Lester? <laughs> They're in the elevator and he just fucking snipes these people out. Yeah. So, so crazy. That show is awesome. That's that first season was so good. I, the rest of the show never lived up to it. Like I, I liked the rest of the show, but I couldn't nothing. It was never as good. No, nah, season four for me was weak. I it was just watching it. I, I gave it two episodes and was like, I'm not digging this. Yeah. Season three, season three has some, some, some decent stuff. I love, I love Ewan McGregor in it. Uh, season two has potential to be like unbelievable, but season one is unbelievable and is like must see TV. One of my favorite, it's one of my favorite seasons of TV of all time. Yeah. Pretty badass. Uh, but back to Woody um, on a whim, I was at my local half price books. And I happened to find the people versus Larry Flint and I bought it just for the hell of it. Uh, so I'll be watching that. So hopefully soon. I've, I've always wanted to see that. It's awesome. You're going to love it. I, that movie's great. <laughs> it's a good double feature with boogie nights. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a fun one there. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, well, th- that's it for the performers. You know, uh, we got, we got, of course, co- covered the Coens, uh, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, Tommy Lee, Woody Harrelson. Uh, it's time to talk about Mr. Deacons for the second week in a row. Uh, Roger Deacons can make an argument that this is his uh, his masterpiece. Uh, the fact that he gets nominated twice in the same year for No Country and the Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Unbelievable movie. Has an argument for being in the best picture uh, category. Just I don't think enough people saw it. That's uh, just bonkers. It's just crazy to, to have people that are doing that. Um, and of course it was him, you know, uh, I mean, we, we've gone over this so many times on this show. Uh, he, he's, he's just the man. He makes every movie that he, he works on. He, he's usually the most impressive part of it and no country. You could argue that he's the best part of it. He's <laughs> some of the shots in no country are fucking breathtaking and operating in, uh, you know, West Texas and, and Del, Del Rio and Odessa. Uh, these, if you're from Texas, these, these, this place is, these places are beautiful right there. But I think for some people who are not from here are just like, fuck, it looks hot as hell there. <laughs> it looks miserable. It's all, it's all these old people who are like just here and they don't know where to go. And, and, but for Texans, there's something kind of uh, endearing about it. And, I do like that area of Texas. I like West Texas. I, I wouldn't go as far as El Paso because that's like eight hours away from, from San Antonio. And it, it is a different kind of heat that, that, that brews there, but Odessa, not, not terribly far from here. Del Rio, not very terribly far. Uh, Eagle pass, you know, these places that are big, big points in the movie. Uh, Deacons captures them to perfection. It, it, it's probably the reason why I think, uh, it's one of the best Texan movies of all time is actually capturing that 1980 West Texas vibe that's going on where you got these, you got, you got this, this fucking ex, uh, this, well, not, he's a veteran, Josh Brolin's character, uh, Moss. 
and he's uh, he's a hunter and he lives in the fucking trailer park. And you got Bardem, who's this clearly kind of Hispanic Latino character who's just working for different, you know, working for different people as a hitman and fucking taking what's his. And Tommy Lee Jones, who like represents Texas. Let's be honest, you know, uh, he he had a house not far from where I live for years for years and years and years in San Antonio. And I'm not sure where he lives right now. I think it's still in San Antonio, but not in the same house. And you could drive by that house all the time. You could see his cars, you could see his driveway. And uh, he's, I've met him one time just in San Antonio. He's, he's the coolest motherfucker ever. You know, Tommy Lee's the man. Uh, I don't, I don't love every performance of his, but I love him. You know, he's one of those guys that I I'll watch, even if it's bad. Uh, And Woody Harrelson, another, another guy who all these things, just make it this Texan kind of a uh, Texan vibe and Deacons is at the forefront of it, just capturing the landscape beautifully. I spoke recently on the show about how Deacons always seems to be making his own kind of movie, like a bit separately from the director. And then those two ideas combine into making the masterpiece in this, in this case, I feel like the Coens were making a, you know, crime thriller and Deacons was making a fucking Western. And yes. that combination is what makes No Country for Old Men feel so damn unique. It's a um, modern day neo-noir Western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It totally, it, it, it understands its place within the genre. And Westerns, the best Westerns do that, you know, where it's kind of this, uh, there's always a character like, like Tommy Lee, like Ed Tom Bell. You know, uh, of course, you know, like Clint Eastwood plays guys like that all the time who are just kind of kind of at the last the last run of their of their their little their little stint. And they're kind of like just pondering what the fuck was I doing the whole time, you know, and and, and Westerns, the best ones under, understand that and reckon with it and make you kind of as an audience, make you reckon with it. And it's so cool. And this one. Yeah, this is straight up the best modern western i've seen i mean in the, in the in the century like it's not even close no it's it's got all the, the the great elements of a great western you know you've got kind of the 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 nameless drifter bad guy you've got mm-hmm. the you know larger than life situation you know rancher stumbles onto drug money you've got the old sheriff who doesn't quite you know doesn't quite make sense in this world anymore and then, of course, the beautiful landscape of, of Texas. Yeah. It's, it's just perfect. Yeah. Stunning, stunning stuff. There's, there's a few shots, especially like the first hour of the film. When I was watching it last night, I was like, oh, my God. I just started smiling because I couldn't, I couldn't believe how, how I, you know, every time I watch it, I'm like, this movie is so good. It's so well done, well shot. And Deacons, you know, you... You just you just gain an appreciation for him every time you watch one of his films. You just you realize you're in the hands of a genius uh, and a guy who has no business filming Texas the way he does. Uh, I've heard I've heard someone I cannot remember who it was talking about No Country. Uh, some writer I I like I cannot remember who it was though because I've listened to all kinds of interviews about No Country and people just oozing with passion about it. He 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 was saying that. The best part of No Country is that it never, it never plainly says to you, obviously, that it's 1980. You have to really pay attention. There's that one scene, the coin toss scene with the, the gas station clerk where he says 1958, that was 22 years ago. And you have to really be paying attention 
to catch that and be like, oh, it's 1980. That's why they're all dressed this way. That's why there's no cell phones, this and that, you know. But the movie, the story, the movie could be 1880, could be 1940, 1980, 1999. It could be right fucking now, you know. West Texas is just this way. Uh, there's still issues with the, with uh, especially that area of Texas near the border. There's still lots of issues with the cartel and drugs and violence in that area. Uh, it's just timeless. This movie is just fucking timeless. And Deacons, being from England, again, has no business being this good at shooting Texas. That man could film a fucking, like, you know, fence drying. And I'd watch every second of it. It could be two and a half hours long, and I'll be like, just mesmerized. The guy <laughs> wields a camera like it's a fucking magic wand. I don't know how he does it, but he is the best in the business. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I, have, I have guys that I really, really adore, and I, I like their, their style and whatnot. But Deacons kind of captures all that, like mainstream, just solid, just using these wonderful cameras. And he's and he works on cool fucking movies. You know, he works with cool fucking directors. I love him. He's Is he the guy we've talked about the most on this show. Probably, yeah. probably. And and he's got it. You know, we have the award named after him. Uh, he's just the man. Uh, I remember. I'll never forget when I like realized who he was, and I was like, oh wow, that's okay. This makes sense. You know, you kind of add it all up. And and I want to appreciate him as much as we can. He was born in 1949, and. You don't know how long guys are going to be working for, right? Uh, as we saw, as we saw, uh, rest in peace to Bob Saget out of nowhere. You know, he he passed away at sixty five years old. You just never fucking know what's going to happen to anybody. And I I, I I want to give people their flowers while they're here, you know. And Deacons is at the front of that fucking line. Yeah, and I really hope you know he's he's passed on his supernatural gifts to a successor or something like that. I hope the legacy continues, and I hope he's. He has like an apprentice or something. I know I'm being all mystical about this, but I, I truly do think this guy exists on a different realm than the rest of us. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I think he's, I think he's uber important to what you and I care about most. Uh, yeah, we, we'll, he'll, he'll come up again in many episodes because, you know, I mean, when you do Shawshank and No Country two weeks in a row, sorry, <laughs> That's, that shit's going to happen. Uh, another, another guy who worked with the, or has worked with the Coens a ton is uh, Jess Gonshore. Uh, he's the production designer, art direction guy for a lot of their movies. Uh, he was nominated for True Grit art direction and then Hell Caesar uh, production design. And he's kind of all all throughout their their filmography. He he worked on No Country for Old Men, one of the more underrated parts of uh, the film. You know, you get blown away by the performances and, and Deacons and the way it's directed. But there's some there's some really cool stuff that. If you are paying attention, you do see that's 1980. You know, I think the scene when uh, Brolin has left and uh, Anton has gone to, uh, Javier Bardem has gone to the trailer and he sits down with the milk and is looking at the TV. And then Tommy Lee Jones does the same thing. Uh, the milk's still fucking sweating and then sits down. You're, it, those things matter, you know, the way the table looks, the way the couch looks, the way the TV looks. Um, I, I would love to do that as a job. Wouldn't that be so much fun to just find props and fucking make a room look the way it is? That would be fantastic. What is it about super sadistic Oscar-winning villains and fucking milk? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, don't two, know. Two years later, you know, you get Landa, his whole thing with milk. 
it's just it's funny to me milk it's like people who drink milk are creepy i guess yeah yeah i think i i, I would hope for me um as a fan i always i always think of when i see someone brutal someone evil drinking milk i always think of alex from a clockwork orange and i'm yeah. hoping that's i'm hoping that's the inspiration but you never know <laughs> i'll take it i'll take it I mean, yeah, fucking Malcolm McDowell, right? <laughs> he's fucking, he's he's the scariest milk drinker of all time, you know? Because like, they they're like, we go to the milk bar, we go to the Corova milk bar just to fucking, you know, drink this shit. It's so cool. <laughs> uh, last person we'll talk about before we get to the 80th Academy Awards, Mary Zafris. She is a very, very talented costume designer. Uh, has worked with the Coens many times. Been nominated three times for True Grit. Uh, 2010, La La Land 2016, and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs 2018. So uh, this is not someone to be taken lightly. She also, if you look at her filmography, also worked on uh, a movie I don't love, but captures one thing good, and that's Indiana Jones, uh, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The movie's not good. The movie's not good. But they do capture those the, that wonderful, you know, the, the color palette and the costumes, and you're like, oh, this is great, even if the movie's shit. Uh, you still get that that vibe, right? I, hats off to her for capturing that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to call Crystal Skull shit. I've warmed up to it now. It's not great, that's for damn sure. But it's yeah. not horrendous. Like I, I include it in my Indiana Jones marathon now. I don't know. I, okay. I feel like I'm going to okay. get hate for that, but fuck it. No, 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 no. I, I think you're, uh, you're a completionist and you like to include everything, even if it's not up to standard you're if even if it's not up to standard this 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 woman mary zafries also worked on uh one of my favorite comedies of all time dumb and dumber from 1994 so that's that's a lot of fun big lebowski uh there's something about mary any given sunday oh brother where art thou uh ghost world love that movie from 2001 um catch me if you can 2002 great shit more more cohen stuff intolerable cruelty uh lady, lady killers uh burn after reading oh my god i love burn after reading it's so good <laughs> a serious man iron man 2 yeah she's got a she's got a cool interstellar fucking first man from 2018 underrated she's got a cool cool filmography a costume designer obviously worked on all kinds of different things and uh those those people matter a whole lot to what we see yeah i'll keep her in mind when i watch the tragedy of Macbeth. that's her too there you go that's coming out yeah uh and then a movie called Babylon that's supposed to come out this year. What? Wait, what is that? I've heard, that, I've seen that's, that. That's Damien Chazelle's new movie. Oh, Christ. Well, she worked on La La Land, so that makes sense. Ah, uh, yes, with Tobey Maguire, Olivia Wilde, and Brad Pitt. Okay, okay. Rumored to be set in period Hollywood. Mm. Oh, fuck. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I mean, I'm kind of in. I'm not crazy. I, La La Land is fine. It's. I think it's a decent flick. Uh but Whiplash, I mean, he stole my heart, Damien Giselle. I'll kind of watch anything he does. Yeah, and you you put a movie in period Hollywood, we're going to sign up immediately. That's just, that's our shit. Yeah, and he's already shown, uh, not with Whiplash, but with La La Land, he showed his kind of passions there, right? You know, talking a lot about Casablanca in that movie and shouting out different old films. And so that that's got my attention, that kind of, that kind of adoration for Hollywood and movie making and the Mecca, so... Yeah, I, I'm fucking in. But let's talk about um, the 80th Academy Awards, man. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a lot of, lot, lot of fun. We're going to 
work our way to the best picture group, which of course uh, is when we'll kind of rank the films, the five films from, from the best picture category. Uh, but we want to start, we want to do them all. We want to do all eight that uh, no country was up for. There's four winners. So we'll do, we'll do the four ones it lost. Right. What do you think? Sounds good to me. All right, man. Let's, let's have some fucking fun here. This is, this is, this is too much, too much, too much fun. No country. Again, did Shawshank last week. I feel like I'm in heaven just talking about these movies. These movies, these are just straight up tens in my mind. There's nothing to take that away from them. Uh, let's do sound editing. Sound. Sound editing, which uh, you got to scroll, scroll all the way down. Again, Connor and I use uh, Wikipedia because it just organizes it very easily for you to just kind of look at this stuff. This is actually a really cool group. Uh, God, No Country for Old Men, Ratatouille, There Will Be Blood, Transformers, and the winner, Born Ultimatum. What the fuck? <laughs> what say you? Oh, boy. Sound editing. Okay. Um, all right. I have. It's been a very long time since I saw the Born Ultimatum. Uh, Same. Yeah. I don't remember anything about those movies. They're just, they're fun action movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, best sound editing. I'm going to give this one to There Will Be Blood. Uh, yeah, no, no qualms here. Uh, I mean, this is, this, is, this is where I always, like with these categories, it's like, okay, yeah, sure. Transformers, I get it. But I'm, I'm, I'm in the boat where the movie should probably be, I don't know, I kind of like the first Transformers, but comparing it to There Will Be Blood or No Country is just hard. It's just hard to even kind of wrap your head around it. I don't think there's any situation in the world where Michael Bay gets to sit in the same place as the Coen brothers and Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Or, or, or Pixar, you know, yeah. uh, with, yeah. Ra- with Ratatouille, or even uh, fucking Paul Greengrass. Like, yeah, I liked him. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm with you. There'll be blood. There's some stuff in that movie that, uh, is, is so shocking, uh, especially that first 15 minutes. There's just no straight up no dialogue, and you're just hearing these kind of just gritty, gritty sounds, and it's all you need. It's just wonderful filmmaking from PTA and company. The brutal, just like one vicious, like violin string score at the beginning of that movie, and then just watching Daniel, you know, pickaxe his way to, a, to becoming an oil baron. You don't need the dialogue. It tells you exactly what you, everything you need to know is right there. And just, you know, the, the sound of the pick hitting the rock, the oil explosion, the squish of the oil mud. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I've always wanted to have one of those hats that, that Daniel Plainview is wearing, you know, at the beginning, especially when he's wearing that hat and he, he uh, puts some of the oil on, on the baby, on Henry. And you're like, oh my God, this guy's a fucking monster. <laughs> you know? He's an absolute monster. But yeah, the sound editing, I, yeah, I'm not ever going to go crazy about the, these categories. I'm never going to be like, no, that's fucked up. Uh, it's a lot easier to, to talk about performances that way. So sound mixing, uh, 310 to Yuma. Oh dear, very underrated. Love that movie. Uh, no Coach for Old Men, Ratatouille. Again, Transformers and the winner, again, Born Ultimatum. 310 to Yuma is the first Western I ever saw. And probably for me too. I mean, I saw that. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it very shortly after. 
I was just along with my family on like a shopping trip at the mall or something. And they wanted to see 310 to Yuma. And it's not like I was going to go wait in the car. I went with them and I was like, yeah. this is cool. And I never looked back. That movie's still one of my favorite Westerns of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, so good. Sound mixing. It's, it's the same bunch. Just swap out. There will be blood in 310 to Yuma for some reason. Uh, fuck it. All right. No Country for Old Men can have this one. I don't know how to judge sound editing and sound mixing. <laughs> no, no, ne- neither do I. Exactly why I'm not going to go crazy. And this is exactly why half the time they don't even fucking show these on TV when they do the awards, you know, they're like, they're just one of those that, that just happens. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's kind of sad. They, they mean, they mean a lot to the final product, but it's not very much fun to uh, com- compare, compare, compare movies like again, Transformers and Ratatouille to 310 to Yuma. It's just, it's just difficult, but hats off to Bourne Ultimatum. If we ever wanted to do the Bourne movies, you know, they got, they got a spot here. <laughs> yeah well we can at least do part three yes yeah exactly all right let's let's get down to some 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 fun stuff here the rest of these are these these are huge uh, best achievement in film editing this is uh where you gotta you gotta you know you gotta make your moves you gotta i don't know why sound mixing and sound editing is uh ahead of film editing on wikipedia but so be it uh here we go here's 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 one movie I haven't seen from from this ceremony that I'm dying to see. I actually tried to find it, uh, could not find it on a streaming service. So I'll, I'll see it one day. It's called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Uh, you got Into the Wild, awesome movie. No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood, and the winner, Born Ultimatum. Three three golden statues for Born Ultimatum. I feel like the Born the, the Born Ultimatum is like the cool kid who wants everybody to win, and he's like pushing. No country and there will be blood away from like having a fist fight. He's like, no, I'll take this one and we'll all be happy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, ah, man. My oldest brother is going to be so mad at me if he listens to this because he loves the Bourne movies. Um, and we're just kind of just giving him, giving him hell. I, 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 I like them. I do. I love, I really like Bourne Supremacy, the second one. Uh, ultimatum is my ultimatum from those three. Ultimatum is my least favorite. Identity's pretty good, the first one. And then the one with Jeremy Renner is fine. Uh, Legacy, I think is what it's called. Yeah. And then and then Jason Bourne from 2016 is whatever. It's just not, not my cup of tea. But I, I do like a lot of moments um, from the film. I, I, like the, I like the soundtrack. I like the score. But I, I don't really go back to them a lot. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not crazy about them. There's just a lot of way better movies in my opinion from this ceremony yeah i don't really have a lot of thoughts regarding the born movies i've seen them i watched them in high school and i thought these are pretty good but then i never really looked back uh and then you know the renner one i didn't care for and the 2016 one i felt was unnecessary i got so tired of the no this is the real bad guy behind the conspiracy every single movie (laughs) yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a bit redundant right if you're if it's not your your cup of tea then you know, never, you're gonna you're gonna get tired i never liked espionage thrillers i always feel like they're the same movie done a hundred times there's never there's very few to kind of very very little to uh differentiate them from one another so yeah not really my cup of tea i'm gonna give this one to there will be blood yeah yeah me too uh de- like yeah definitely gonna give it to there will be blood and uh it's just funny. It's funny. It's funny that you're such a huge Bond fan. 
And then I, I've heard you talk about other kind of sort of franchises that deal with like a solo guy who's like fucking mysterious, you know, <laughs> but, but Bond is just, it, it is in a different realm. Right. And has, has like 30 movies. So, well, here's the thing. Bond didn't become an espionage thriller franchise until Daniel Craig showed up. And in that, mm. and that's when they were trying to emulate born to get more money. Cause the Brosnan films were bombing. So okay, most okay. of the Bond franchise is fun, outrageous, ridiculous action. And I love that. And the Craig films yeah. are great, but there is something to be said about, you know, should James Bond really be fighting post 9-11 terrorism? Like, is that really what we need? Yeah. And, and there's this, there's a specific shot that is in uh, Quantum of Solace where Craig jumps through like a skinny window and and, and it looks exactly like a shot from Born Ultimatum. It looks exactly like a shot that Matt Damon's like fucking, you know. Yeah. And, That's and Matt not Damon, an accident. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So good, good point. Good point. Good. Uh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, I think no. There's no no arguments here uh, when it comes to comes to there will be blood. It's just kind of in a different different realm with the way it. I mean, it, it jumps over 20 years and you don't feel it. You're like, this is just seamless and, and fucking money the whole time. You know? Yeah. They don't really spell it out. They don't totally spell it out to you. They show you nice little title cards and then you see it through Daniel Plainview's fucking face and has it, how it's just like aged somehow. Daniel Day-Lewis is, is not only can he act great, but he, he just can age himself through filming a one film. He's ridiculous. <laughs> fucking ridiculous. We'll talk about him soon. Um, Cinematography, best cinematography. The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, Roger Deakins. <laughs> uh, Atonement, Seamus McGarvey. Mm, don't know if Atonement should be here. Uh, the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Janis Kaminsky. No Country for Old Men, Roger Deakins. And the winner, There Will Be Blood, Robert Elswit. Oh boy, this is a group. <laughs> this is a group. I would actually swap. Seamus out for another Robert Elswit uh, performance, which is he was the cinematographer for Michael Clayton. I think Michael Clayton looks fucking gorgeous. It's one of my favorite parts of that movie. And that would be really cool because you would have two Robert Elswits and two Roger Deakins in the same category. I'd be fucking terrified to be the fifth guy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, Jonas uh, Kaminsky. You're fucked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, boy. This is, um, this is a hard one. I mean... This, this whole damn Oscars really is a fucking war between No Country and There Will Be Blood. Yep. Uh, it's a toss-up on almost every category. They're both so fucking good. It's, it's, like, it's like Chinatown versus Godfather Part 2. It's just like, <laughs> these, these both have a lot to say. Yeah. Yeah. Christ, cinematography. Um, oh, man. All right. I'm glad There Will Be Blood took it, but I personally give this to Roger Deakins for No Country for Old Men. I actually, I actually do too. Uh, I think this, this, yeah. I mean, I, I talked about how Shawshank is one of Deacon's best. No country is, is just in its own, own place. And I, I don't like when, I mean, this just happens because this is the, the name of the game. This is, this is uh, when you award movies once a year, this is just what's going to happen. But his two wins for 1917 and Blade Runner, in my opinion, are not nearly as good as No Country. I mean, they're great and they have their own things that are that they're offering. And 1917 is very unique 
And Blade Runner 2049 is like, what is this? How is this the guy who also did Shawshank? But No Country is a is a feat in its in its own its own right. And I I, I kind of wish he would have won for that. But I, I I mean, good night. Robert Elswit is wicked talented. One of my favorite cinematographers of all time. He's done a lot of done a lot of PTA uh, films. Uh, they have a very collaborative, uh, you know, workplace. Those two guys are camera geniuses and them working together is, is a treat. There will be blood just like no country has some shots where this it's like, this is why you watch movies, you know, you to yeah. see stuff like, to see stuff like this, to see the landscape, to see, uh, especially in American filmmaking, to see America in this way, right. Is, uh, is breathtaking. Yeah. I got nothing to add to that. That's very well said. God, what a what a cool group! I really gotta see. We we both. Pro- I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, the diving bell and the butterfly. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I have not. Yeah, we gotta check that movie out. Uh, apparently, it's really good. I was reading Letterboxd reviews, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by this one. It's it seems to have aged well, and that's always good with a movie that's 15 years old. All right, which one you want to do? Oof. Obviously, we're saving best picture for last. You want to do screenplay? directing screen okay let's do screenplay first fucking shit this is a good group <laughs> uh this is best adapted screenplay um i actually really like the original screenplay group but this is where we're at um yeah this is this is a good group we have atonement uh by christopher hampton based on the novel by ian McEwen. uh we have away from her by sarah Polly, based on the short story the bear went over the mountain by elise munro uh, then we have The Diving Bell and the Butterfly by Ronald Harwood, based on memoir by Jean-Dominique Bobby. Uh, then we have There Will Be Blood, Paul Tom Sanderson, based on the novel Oil by Upton Sinclair. Oof. Uh, to me, this is, again, uh, a battle between No Country and There Will Be Blood. Like, which, do you like watching Javier Bardem fucking slice people up with his words, or do you like watching Daniel Plainview, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, yell at people, you know? <laughs> well, I'll say this. Paul Thomas Anderson's movie is very, very loosely an adaptation of oil. Like, yes, this, this is all Paul Thomas Anderson. This, this screenplay pretty, pretty much. And the Coens, um, I tried to read Cormac McCarthy's no country for old men. And that book is structured so fucking weirdly. It's just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, but to me, this should go to Paul Thomas Anderson. There will be blood. Oh, man, this is hard. Daniel Day-Lewis is, is only yeah. as good as the words he is given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, God, how lucky are we to have guys like the Coens and Paul Thomas Anderson writing movies? We need more people like this because the actors deserve, you know, like performers deserve it, you know? Yeah. Good performers deserve great shit to say. And I mean, and we can, we can go on and on about throwing blood because we're not, that's not the episode we're doing today. And one day we will, but giving out an award for best line for there will be blood is, is, is impossible. You know, it's got, it's got so much funny shit. My, my favorite little bit is, uh, he's having a, he's having a meeting and someone kind of interrupts him and he says, don't be thick in front of me, Al. (laughs) The fuck is this? You know? <laughs> so good. Mine, mine is when he's um he just got reunited with his kid and the guy who told him like you know told him mm. how to raise his family is having lunch at the other table 
and Daniel just walks over there. It's like, don't you look a fool? Yeah. <laughs> just, like, there's my son. <laughs> I'm taking yeah. care of him now. And the guy's he's, just like, he's drunk as shit. Yeah. He grabs the guy's whiskey, just walks away. God damn. There's, there's lines in there will be blood that belong in a fucking Hall of Fame. That screenplay is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we recently did the mastery. Yeah, I just, I've just been in heaven on this show. And, and when we talked about ranking PTA's films, There Will Be Blood is, is to me the best, partly because he, he's on a different fucking like, different level with the screenplay. And it, and it captures, you know, uh, uh, early, you know, early 1900s or early, early 20th century perfectly. Uh, Christianity, capitalism, you know, colliding and, uh, uh, and then, and then the, the little stuff, uh, one of my favorite things about this, that these two movies going against each other is it's probably two of my fi- like favorite final lines from any movie are, uh, Tommy Lee Jones saying, then I woke up and then Daniel Day Lewis saying, I'm finished. <laughs> that whole like scene the- with Eli <laughs> in the fucking bowling alley. Christ, you could crop that out and it could win best short film. <laughs> and that is just uh, gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't you don't really need that's one of my favorite things about PTA is he's so about the journey and so about each moment being worth it and not wasting any time uh, and just having fun with every little little thing he can. And you could you could cut out so many bits. You could cut out the first 15 minutes where there is no dialogue and be like, oh, that's like a genius short film where it's this kind of ambiguous, oh, what's going on here? These guys are finding oil. I wonder what happened after. And then you could take him and this pastor. And this pastor is, you know, fucking Paul Dano. How the hell did he go toe to toe? How did he do that <laughs> with, with with the legend himself? Maybe our best actor uh, the, of of our time. Where the hell is his best supporting actor nomination? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think Paul Dano has ever been properly appreciated. Uh, I, I think it's coming in March. Uh, Maybe Batman. I, I think it's coming. I think people, you know, I think it takes something that big and makes that much money, and everybody sees it, and they're like. Oh, you know, because, you know, uh, I would compare, you know, someone like him who's got this really cool career, someone like uh, early on in his career, Willem Dafoe, didn't get the right praise, didn't get the right adoration. But when you do something like Green Goblin, it's like, oh, and then everybody else goes back and sees everything else. And they're like, this guy's just incredible, no matter what. And I think Paul Dano is going to have a career like that, where we're going to look back at his character fucking Dwayne from Little Miss Sunshine and be like, that guy was a genius. You know, his directorial debut, Wildlife, this guy's 30 years old and he's directing this incredible film just that just captures family and how tough it is and circumstance. And, and he's, if you listen to him talk, he's a fucking genius when it comes to movies. He can I, go on and on and on. I watched his Criterion Closet video and I was like, this Ugh. guy just likes movies. He's just happy to yeah. be here. Yes, he's so excited to just um, just be a part of it, right? You know, and those are my favorite guys. I also I noticed. I think it's cool that No Country and There Will Be Blood were head to head with each other because in like and on the grand scale, they're both telling a very similar story about the evils and fires of capitalism, kind of taking over an old world that's not ready to move on. You know, with you've got Plainview and his oil. Ty, like tycoon self taking on Eli in the church. And then you've got Anton and the money kind of bulldozing over Sheriff Tommy Lee Jones's perfect little Texas world. 
it's yeah. it's cool. It's a similar. It's very similar in tone and grand uh, grand scale themes. I like that. Yeah, it, it, this just doesn't happen. You know, this just this this is this is very very rare for movies this good to go against each other. And like you said, to have these themes that just kind of line up and and creates this double feature that if you have the time, uh, five hours, then you you're gonna you're gonna be heavily heavily rewarded not only are not only are they both entertaining as hell but if you're like a filmmaker or someone who wants to write or someone who wants you're gonna learn a lot oh my god you're gonna learn you're gonna learn a tremendous amount and since these two movies came out watch how many things copy them you know watch how many things pay homage to them and i have no problem with that you know if you you know if you do it the right way Uh, again bill Hader. i i was listening to an interview he was like he was like i have a whole episode in uh, Barry, because you know he directs it and he stars in it. That's basically trying to be No Country, where it has no music and and it and kind of operates off just just off authenticity and rawness and 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 thrilling aspects, you know. And that's so cool. That's so cool that it it's just become a part of the DNA of of what we love. I, as a writer myself, I hope one day to write a character even half as brilliant and layered and devious as daniel plainview i mean christ that's the that's the bar yeah yeah i'd say so uh it's one of my favorite characters just period one of my favorite fictional characters ever and and god has there been someone play daniel day lewis play someone like you said the, the layers of it the the kind of alcoholism that's throughout it the the way he shoves the way he shoves uh, the Sunday family aside, you know, he doesn't bless, he doesn't bless the well. So then the well has a lot of problems. And then, and then he's like, uh, okay, I'll give into your little schemes, but ultimately it's for me to just get my money. You know, uh, it's just genius and everything's hitting so well. And both, both these movies kick ass. <laughs> There's this whole, you know, this need to be loved that's hidden underneath all of Daniel's bravado. Like he really does love his son. And he wants him to succeed, but at the same time, he will not let himself look weak in any possible way. Mm. And that comes back to bite him. He ends up alone and a murderer because he refuses to let anybody help him or let anybody see him as anything other than like the king of oil. And that's only something you really notice on like the third or fourth viewing. And it's it's so it's so small, but he you can see it in his performance. There's this this hint of it. And DDL is the master of a, a, at a layered performance like he can play three different versions of a man at the same time yeah it's fucking amazing yep. <laughs> yeah truly truly incredible uh fuck man this is this is this is just a great great matchup you know these two they're kind of made for each other so screenplay slight edge to there will be blood yeah okay how about directing Directing, mm-hmm. we have, we have, yeah, here we go. <laughs> we have, everyone else is just like, sorry, you have no chance against these guys. Uh, we have Julian Schnabel for The Diving Bell and The Butterfly. There that movie is again. Jason Reitman, Juno, Tony Gilroy, Michael Clayton, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, There Will Be Blood, and the winners, Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen for No Country for Old Men. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, this is a head to head. There is no, no one's taken this away. 
like, yeah, I mean, imagine Jason Reitman being in the same room as these guys. You know, God bless him. I love Juno. Uh, but no, it's just, it ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So since I gave screenplay to There Will Be Blood, I am going to give director to the Coen brothers. Okay. Okay. I, I, I got to go PTA. <laughs> uh, I, I got to Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, again two hours and 40 minutes and you never once are like, ah, this is boring. You know, like, yeah, I don't, I don't need this. Every scene is just like, it is just fucking rich, just rich. And, and shout out to, cause we're not going to be able to uh, uh, this, this episode until, unless we just do it. Shout out to Johnny Greenwood's score and there'll be blood, which matches up just brilliantly. There's one bit uh, where they were when he first is becoming proper oil man Daniel Plainview and that there's a track called open spaces that plays and and PTA uh, Robert Elswit they do this kind of overhead shot of just the desert and you're like oh man <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 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 at home you know I'm this is where I this is where I need to be as a viewer and it's so rewarding to be with these guys what a cool team you know and there's one guy I can't remember his name um he was supposed to play the other Sunday brother and he basically got intimidated by everything that was happening and essentially never acted again. Jesus. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, so was he supposed to play Eli or Paul? Uh, Paul, the first one. Okay. Mm, I can understand if it was Eli. I mean, you're essentially the, the bad guy. If that's the way you want to look at the movie. But it was, but but the reason it's such an interesting story is because it, it it lines up, and some of them deny it. Some of them, like Daniel Day Lewis, is like, I didn't like. I mean, he's like, I didn't try to do anything wrong. You know, I wasn't trying to intimidate him. You know, this this is just filmmaking. And there's plenty of people on the crew who were like, we we had no idea that he was like feeling that way. This guy, so he's supposed to be. You know, that's towards the beginning of the film. It's like in the first 25, 30 minutes where you see him go to Daniel Plainview and say, hey. There's this land. I, I'm willing to offer it to you for a sum of money. Uh, so it makes sense that at the beginning, this guy was intimidated by whatever was happening on set. And he said, I can't fucking do this. And PTA is a particular guy and wants the right people in, in each spot. And so he basically was like, hey, you, Paul Dano, you're going to play both brothers. So you're going to be doing this bit and you're going to be doing the bit as the pastor of the church for, for, the, for the latter part of the movie. And I think it worked out great. I think it's really cool that they're kind of twins and I think it works out. I think it works out well because Paul Dano is awesome. I love that it's never addressed apart from one brief look that Daniel gives Eli when he's like, I, have we met? Like he just kind of looks at him like, wait a minute, you're twins. Yeah. Yeah. But he never says Fuck. anything. It's just in that look. You're like, he's thinking about it right now. <laughs> I love when uh, Henry's talking to him about the girl that he likes, the young girl. And he's like, Oh, that's the short one. <laughs> you fuck <laughs> i mean if, if you're a if you're a newcomer you know straight out of film school or the stage wherever this kid was from i mean if you're gonna be cast in paul thomas anderson's new movie alongside daniel day lewis who you're gonna have a significant scene with i mean i get it and I, also I, you're I, not i do too you're never gonna meet daniel day lewis you're gonna meet daniel plainview because this fucker doesn't break character Correct. Correct. And that's what I have so much respect for Paul Dano because Paul Dano is going for it. There, there's the scene when he's like, 
out with the devil, you know, and he's screaming at his church, at his congregation. And you're like, this guy's just as fucking bonkers as Daniel Day-Lewis. Fucking slapping Daniel in front of the congregation to like heal him from Satan. It's fucking crazy. And yeah. Daniel just goes along with it because he needs this to work. I have sinned. Yeah. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to become an episode about both movies. Yeah. Because it's, it, 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 I really can count on my, 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 my hand, my one hand, how many times two movies this good go at each other at a ceremony. It just doesn't happen. I really do think it's on the same playing field as, as, uh, I'll go ahead and say it fucking Apocalypse Now versus Kramer versus Kramer or, Chinatown versus Godfather part two, you know, it just doesn't happen very often where the, this kind of shit happens. And it's two movies that deserve every bit of praise they've gotten. And they're at the same ceremony. Cause if it, cause come on, let's be honest. Slumdog Miller, fine movie, but if it goes against one of these, it's losing everything. You know, there's just, there's no fucking chance a year later. It's losing everything. Hurt Locker. Good movie does not compare to these two. You know, it's just not, it's not happening. Most years, both of these movies would win everything and they go against each other. It's really cool. It's yeah, it's quite amazing. Uh, and then we get to reap the benefits of it, you know, years later and still get to have this conversation. It's, it's fantastic. I, yeah, exactly. And, and, and another great thing, it's not just those two, the supporting ro- movies in this ceremony are great. We're about to bring up another one that I love. Let's talk about supporting actor. <laughs> Casey Affleck, the assassination assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That movie probably should have just been called Jesse James. Yeah, or, I don't, I, I don't, don't care for that. <laughs> yeah, that 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 name. I think that's a big reason why a lot of people just didn't go see it. They were like, "What is that?" You know, uh, it sounds like a PowerPoint. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's a good, it's a great movie. Brad Pitt's wonderful in it. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Charlie Wilson's War, uh, lights out. Hal Holbrook, Into the Wild, great performance. And Tom Wilkinson, one of the most underrated guys of all time, uh, in Michael Clayton. This is a great group. This is my favorite category of all time is the supporting actor because you get these random-ass motherfuckers going against each other, and it's always these really cool character actors, and uh, this is an awesome group. I am Shiva, the god of death. Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> this is something special. Oh, all right. So I have not yet seen Jesse James or Into the Wild. Um, I own Jesse James too. I bought it on a, on a whim. I buy a lot of films just like thinking you'll, like you'll, yeah, you'll love that movie. Into the Wild is good, but I don't, I don't know. I, I, I liked it a lot more when I was younger than I do now. Uh, it was very effective when I was like 15, 16. And I was like, whoa, you know, Christopher McCandless, this guy who just went out and lived off the land. Now I'm more kind of like, I mm, think maybe you should take care of yourself, you know, kind of thing. You know, I don't know. See, in my soul, I've always been about 59, 60 years old. So I've always looked at this like, that kid was an idiot. Like, he got himself killed for no reason. So yeah. I've never really wanted to watch the movie, but I will for the sake of future episodes. Yeah. 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 There you go. And, 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 uh, I like Emil Hirsch a lot and it's fun to see him, uh, kind of at the forefront of this movie. Yeah. Supporting actor though. I love, you know, Gust Avocados. I think he's such a ridiculous character is when he's screaming at John Slattery about not getting the Helsinki job. Like I spent years learning Finnish, which is coming <laughs> handy here in Virginia. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great role. 
<laughs> yeah, he makes that movie for me. Yeah, I like the movie, but I love PSH as Gust. <laughs> oh yeah, and then Tom Wilkinson is great as Arthur, just this you know lawyer on like on the end of a nervous breakdown. He's got a crisis of conscience. He's got some great moments. I wish he was in the film more, but I get it. In you know, for the story, makes sense why he disappears halfway through. Um, yeah. And I'm sure Casey Affleck is great. I'm sure Hal Holbrook is great, but nobody was taking this away from Javier. No, this is a this is easy, easy. Yeah. This is the easiest one of the whole ceremony. This and this and Daniel Day Lewis for best actor are just they're just easy. Yeah, <laughs> enough said. This was a God. I love it when a villain wins an Oscar. I don't know what it is about that, but it just makes me smile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I've been, I've been. I like to memorize this stuff, you know, just to, uh, just to have it there. Right. You know, like if you take any given year and try to memorize the four performers that one, you know, it's just fun to kind of look at, it's kind of fun to look at the four winners from any given year and just, just look at them. Like what if they were in a movie together that year? I like doing stuff like that. Yeah. And this year, this year it'd be Daniel Day Lewis, Javier Bardem, Tilda Swinton and Marion Cotillard. Woo. Give me that movie. <laughs> I'd watch the fuck out of that. My God. Yeah. I don't, I don't care what they're doing. They could be playing poker. Uh, give me that movie. You know, uh, that would be, that would be awesome. But uh, Bardem rivals every single, not just supporting, but every single Oscar performance win in history. He's right up at there at the top. Again, I, I think in modern times, I think it's, you know, these two, Daniel DeLewis, Harvey Bardem. I think it's, uh, you got to throw Denzel Washington from Training Day in there. I think that's one of the better ones. J.K. Simmons, you know, <laughs> I think I think uh, one of the more underrated ones is, is Viola Davis in Fences. She's just lights out in that movie. There have been people who have won the Oscar uh, performers that that truly deserve it, you know. And I think I think this year I think they 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 did really good. Hell yeah! I think there's nothing better than paying attention, getting to, you know, experience this shit in real time. Like we have been for the past, like, I don't know, six, seven years at this point, like really paying yeah. attention to the Oscars and getting to judge and value the, you know, these uh, performances for ourselves. I think that's, that's cool. And I like to, you know, not just watch the winners, but the nominees and see like, you know, was this like, does this deserve to be here? Um, it's a fun journey that's ongoing and, it really makes you appreciate the work when you're really ho as honed in as we are. Uh, yeah, for sure. I love finding random movies because of, because of point of reference. And for instance, the reason I watched Eastern promises way back when was because Viggo Mortensen was up, you know? And then I realized, I realized, Oh, I, I like the guy who directed that movie too, <laughs> you know, and you make those, you make those connections and it's just worth it. It's very worth it to, to do that and watch the stuff for yourself that you just know you're going to dig and you're going to fucking love, you know, like for you and I, it's, it's horror, you know, it's finding horror movies, horror gems that you're not going to see here a lot at the Oscars, but you know, is right up your alley. And that's the beauty of it is kind of having your foot in all camps yeah, and, and, and taking from all of them, consuming this everything. It's the best, but my favorite thing to do uh, on this show is this right here is the best picture showdown is lining up what, whatever it is in this case it's five movies sometimes it's fucking eight nine ten even you know the academy doesn't know what to do uh five is my favorite 
it's accessible. It's easy to watch all of them within a, a month's time, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this group is awesome. We've brought up every single one of these at some point already, and I'm excited to rank them with you. I think this group has no like real weak link. I don't think any of them are anywhere near bad. And that's rare. That's rare. Usually the last one we did was what? 1961. Yeah. And Fanny is straight up bad, straight up, not good. And I think uh, this group has nothing close to that. You know, I think they're all worth, worth your time. Uh, They're pretty much all accessible right now. Uh, One of them is on stars. Two of them are on HBO max. One of them's on Netflix, you know, like these movies are, are around and you can check them out. So let's do this thing, man. we got the winner, no country. we got Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, and there will be blood. So I'll let you take it away with your number five and let's do this thing. Uh, like you said, none of these are really bad. Um, but my number five is Michael Clayton. Oh, no. I, yeah, I know. I felt bad the whole time watching them. Like, <laughs> oh, he's not going to like this. Um, you didn't, you didn't like it very much, huh? I like the, I like the opening. I love the ending, but the middle drags. Like there is a lull in this movie where it just, I'm waiting for something to happen. Okay. And I hated that. I I, I hated that. I felt like that, but the performances are fantastic. Clooney's great. Wilkinson's great. Swinton is great. Um, and then the ending is just so fucking satisfying, but yeah, for me, it took a bit getting there. So I, I gave this a seven. So this is my number five. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's very up my alley. I I I love that one. I'll be talking about it later. My my number five is is uh, Atonement. Okay. Uh, Atonement is an eight out of ten kind of movie for me. I think the first thirty minutes are stunning, are absolutely riveting. Uh, maybe even a little longer than that. I, I basically think the entire time we are with, uh, Keira Knightley. James McAvoy, Saoirse Ronan, Benedict Cumberbatch, all these people at the house. That whole stretch is like unbelievable. Uh, and when we find out about this letter and we find out about a, uh, a rape, all of those, that, that whole, it's just, it unfolds like so cinematic, you know, it's so cinematic the way it unfolds. And I think it takes a dip when it changes from that time to five years later. And I think it doesn't know how to wrap itself back together. Right. And then the ending is so fucking sad. And so like, Oh my God, what the fuck? Uh, I, I like that. The ending is like that, that it's just, it's unrelenting and unforgiving because it sets it apart from other, other romance movies in that way. Most romance movies, you know, and like happy, happy go lucky. This one does not, uh, but I, I hate to be this guy, but I think the minute Sersha goes away and we get that middle actor playing the kind of uh, 18-year-old version, I think the movie dips significantly. And I still like it. I still think it ends up, you know, getting the landing right at the end. And I think it's worth watching. I don't think this one is on anything, uh, any streaming service. It was on Prime for a while. Uh, you let me borrow a DVD. Uh, watched it so yeah it's like two hours it's 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 very worth anybody's time who hasn't seen it but uh don't expect it to be as good as that first 30 45 minutes it just it 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 takes a dip yeah 
you're not wrong. My number four is Atonement. Okay. Um, so I'll just go ahead and say my bit. This is a, it's an upsetting movie. Um, and a lot of people really hate Saoirse Ronan's character. Um, I don't. Yeah. Personally, you know, I think, yeah, she destroyed two lives, but she didn't know. She had sufficient evidence to think that McAvoy was a perv. Um, and Kira Knightley could have cleared this all up by saying, like, no, it's cool. He was with me or like anything. And she doesn't say a damn word because of her reputation or some shit. So I, I kind of blame her on that. But I, I just think this movie, it gets major points for refusing to have the you know, fairy tale ending and showing the consequences of, you know, lies and misinformation and not fessing up. But I also think it's weird that the person who kind of destroyed their lives then gets to be like a best-selling author. Like, okay, that's not, that doesn't seem fair. Yeah. And, and why on God's green earth does she have the same haircut for like 90 years straight? <laughs> why? <laughs> like Sersha, Sersha, I get it. It's like 1930 something, right? I, I get it. But after that, you know, and she's like in her fucking 80s as an author. And she's like, this is my last book. It's like, yeah, but why do you have the same fucking haircut? <laughs> what is the deal here? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, having that liar, liar haircut in your like 30s. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. 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 God. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is. It is. It is. A, it is a solid film. And like you said, it gets points. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think. Uh, I think Sersha. You know, her character, which is just crazy that Saoirse Ronan, like, look at her now. You know, she's just a fucking, just unbelievable performer. Is going to be getting Oscar nominations for the next fucking 50 years. She's so good. Um, yeah, she gets that letter, right? It's the wrong letter. And then she's like, oh, my God, it says the C word in here and says a lot of weird stuff. And and when you're that age, you just, yeah, where, where is your mind supposed to go? You know, um, and then the cousin says, Juno Temple, the cousin is like, yeah, he's a fucking perv, you know, and like and like feeds that feeds that to her feeds into that, you know, and I, yeah, I don't totally blame her for all this stuff. I just think I, I'm with you. I think the biggest theme here is, is misinformation is not communicating properly after things happen. And this family does not communicate properly. Well, that was, you know, stiff upper lip English like family yep. you didn't say yeah. shit that made the family look bad or made your honor look besmirched and because of that a lot of people's lives were fucked yeah so that's just the way that that you know time and place worked uh i'll never understand that yeah and I, I don't think i've ever hated a benedict a benedict cumberbatch character more than in than than in atonement i don't think so yeah a rapist who then marries the victim yeah. <laughs> like what the fuck He's a piece of shit. And right from the get-go, you're just like, fuck this guy. You know, the way he's talking and he's like, they're scrumptious. You know, he's talking about a cocktail, that he, a, choc- a chocolate cocktail he's going to make. It's like, fuck off, dude. Go drown. My God, he sucks in that movie. Uh, it's it's good. It's a, it's a good film. I hope, I hope uh, you know, we probably just ruined some of it for people. But <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you haven't seen it, it's 15 years late. Fuck, you know, fucking hell. Uh, so that's your number four. Yes. My number four is Juno. Okay. Uh, love this movie. Love Juno. I've seen this one a lot. It's uh, kind of like comfort food to me. I like 
I like all the performances from Elliot Page, Michael Sarah, Jennifer Garner, and Jason Bateman and J.K. fucking Simmons. Uh, they're all great. I like I like the music references in it. I like that she's all about the late 70s punk era and Jason Bateman's all about like that early 90s, mid 90s grunge era. It's really cool how they kind of go back and forth. I, I'm a huge Sonic Youth fan, so it's really funny when she says, Sonic Youth, that's just a fucking bunch of noise. You know, I love all that stuff. I like the, I love the Dario Argento shout out uh, in the middle of the film when they're watching horror movies together. All those things just add up to this movie I just fucking enjoy. It's an 8 out of 10 for me. I really like it. Uh, I, I would say that, you know, it, it doesn't deserve a spot over something like Zodiac. But I like it a lot. I do like it a lot. I think it's a solid flick. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, my number three is Juno. There you go. It's uh, I watched this for the first time um, when we did our Up in the Air episode, so I get a little bit more Jason Reitman uh, background info. And there you go. I really liked it. I was mesmerized. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was really cute, really funny. Um, I liked how it treated teenage pregnancy as not the end of somebody's life or even the beginning of somebody's life, just as mm. something that you kind of have to make a decision on. And she didn't make a, you know, a harsh decision or like a wrong decision. The movie kind of made, you know, argue that there is really no wrong decision here. It's just progressively tougher decisions, but yeah, finding yeah. a family to adopt the baby and then just kind of going through it and having her support system. It just, it worked. It was something endearingly real about Juno that I really liked. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and great screenplay by Diablo Cody, like great screenplay. Yeah. I'm so glad she won for that. Yeah. Best original screenplay. Very cool. And what, one of my favorite, like, uh, I, I guess you'd call this like a rom-com coming of age, you know, it's kind of like a genre bender. It's what in that realm of movies, one of my favorite moments and one of the most rewarding moments is when she drops off the letter to their house that says, Vanessa, if you're still in, I'm still in, you know? And then you see that above the baby's crib at the end of the movie. You're like, that's fucking cool as shit. Like, yeah. that's such a cool moment from, from Juno yeah. to kind of say, to, to kind of say, fuck you, Mark. You know, Jason Bateman's character, who's a complete dick. Uh, should never should never have been in that relationship in the first place. You know, that's, that's, that's the first problem. Mark and Vanessa do not mesh. Well, it's so like, I mean, he's a fucking creep the whole time. I mean, you know, he's hitting on this teenager who's carrying his, you know, potential adopted child. That's fucking weird. And then to think like to tell her, like, where did you think this was going? Like, what did you think this was? Like, how fucked is that? But then yeah. also, I love that that, you know, Mark and Vanessa, not, you know, their breakup doesn't mean she doesn't get to have a baby. There's nothing mm. wrong with being a single parent. I love that this movie did that because, you know, yeah. I was raised by a single parent and I fucking despise people who say anything wrong, like anything against single parents. And yeah, yeah, yeah it was nice to have that shout out. That's really cool. Right. And, and it's it it doesn't let Mark off easy. He I love when Jennifer Garner's like, look at you, the fucking cool guy, you know, because he's he bought a loft downtown St. Paul, Minnesota fuck you dude like you're a loser you know like you you, you have a melvin's poster in, in your room and you're not allowed to put it in any other room because you you and your wife just straight up don't get along and you don't know how to communicate it's just funny how he gets fucked <laughs> like well, i love jason bateman he's such a good actor he does a great job in this movie 
I'd argue nobody plays a better douchebag than Jason Bateman. Like, I don't know what, what it is about him, but when he's playing an asshole, God, does he deliver? Yeah. Yeah. No, he's really good at it. He's, he's a damn fine actor. That guy he's put together a really cool career. Uh, yeah. Yes. Juno, Juno's good. Juno's a good movie. Solid eight out of 10 for me. Um, so that's your number three. My number three is Michael Clayton. Okay. As you, as you probably could have uh, figured out as we're going along, there's no way those other two movies are going to be behind anything. I love Michael Clayton. Uh, my favorite, I love George Clooney in it. I love Tom Wilkinson. I love Tilda Swinton, but my favorite part of it is uh, James Newton Howard's uh, score. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's so movie like, you know, a lot, a lot of scores, you know, like what Johnny Greenwood does, uh, for for Daryl B. Blood and for Paul Thomas Anderson, what Carter Burwell does for a lot of the Cohen films is just complete opposite of what James Newton Howard he he's operating in more like a elevated popcorn. You know, it's like this is what you expect from a movie score, but it's really fucking good. It's really refined and it's really really solid and kind of rings in your head after you watch it. Uh, Michael Clayton's a nine out of ten for me. I love Michael Clayton. It's kind of a. Uh, there's there's those movies there's they're kind of like borderline uh drama thrillers or whatever and they're they usually deal with some kind of conspiracy and you know these are uh directed also uh same guy uh, state of play 2009 same kind of realm right those movies are just kind of like my guilty pleasure they're just kind of this thing i just do uh i don't even know if i call it guilty pleasure because i'm fucking proud of it i like it i don't give a shit you know michael clayton is like uh is just my ideal Friday night at 1 a.m. is something like Michael Clayton, you know? Yeah, I figured. I, and, you know, maybe it's one of those movies that, you know, I'll appreciate a bit more on a second, third viewing because I'll be a little bit more, you know, I'll know what to expect. Um, but I do love, there's moments of this movie I really like, like the ending when he sets, you know, he sets up Tilda Swinton and then oh. getting, in, getting in the cab and then the end credits with just Clooney's kind of, wondering if he did the right thing and like what the next step is reminded me a lot of the graduate mm. all right there you go good yes. shout yeah thank you oscar sunday but, yeah um, love love my yeah. <laughs> yes yes there you go oscar sunday constantly rewarding you patting you on the back michael clayton is on hbo max uh I, yeah i definitely suggest people people check it out i think it's i think it's one of the films from this ceremony that just not not enough people have seen yeah, I think you're right about that. And that's because it gets really overshadowed by these next two movies. Yes, let's get to it. What's your number two? My number two is There Will Be Blood. Oh, we reversed. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I do love this movie, I cannot deny my fucking roots as a film fan in the Coen brothers. Like, it's just... Uh, it's, yeah. it's opposite. Yeah, we were, yeah, 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 yeah. Somehow we get along. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we've talked at length about how much we love these films. It, it's, a, it's, it's a fucking coin toss. Depends on the day. Um, coin coin blood. toss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this right here. That's the most I ever lost on a coin toss. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's a very powerful movie. A very cool, uh, I guess you could call it a, a villain's journey as opposed to a hero's journey. There will be blood. Just watching a man be more and more consumed with power and product and capitalism as the world around him suffers because of it. It's 
it's powerful. It's an incredible performance. Like, honestly, like this could be career defining if it was anybody but Daniel Day Lewis, because he's got like repeatedly career defining performances. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And then like, I love Paul Dano's character. He's such a slimy piece of shit. He's the same brand of asshole as Daniel Plainview. Daniel is just very upfront about what kind of prick he is. Eli refuses to admit it until the end. And I fucking love that part when he met, when Daniel makes him admit that he's a fraud and then is like, Oh, I already bought that land. <laughs> yeah. You stupid fuck. And he's just like eating a steak and just chugging fucking moonshine. Yeah. Like, Oh my God. <laughs> check fucking mate. Yeah. Major check fucking mate. And then I love how uh, at the end, at the end of that, when he says I'm finished and then the, there will be blood shows up on the screen and it just, and it's all jolly. <laughs> and, and it reminds you, oh, I told you there was going to be some blood, you know, there's gonna be some blood in this movie. It's, it was, it was bound to happen. <laughs> uh, PTA just can't help, but have fun. You know, he can't, he can't fucking help it. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's my number one. My number two is no country. They're both 10 out of 10 movies. They're both. And, and I'll throw Zodiac in there too. It's three of my like favorite 25 movies ever in existence. And they all three come out the same year. And I, it's, I feel so lucky to even have those in my life and no country. Ah, oof, you know, we're going to, we're about to get into why I love it so much with our awards for it. It's just a uh, through and through piece, but I, I, I'm like you, I kind of have to go with my heart, you know, and at the end of the day, my heart lies with Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson and his work and, I think I think they both have. Uh, I think there's a few movies that you can kind of say are are kind of signature trademark films, and it just happens that PTA and the Coens have their trademark signature films in the same year. And not only that, but match those up against any movie from the entire century, and they go they go they go the distance with them. This is yeah, wow. This is definitely one of those you know rare occasions where the Academy. They got it right. I mean, this is a, like we were talking about when we did the master, um, my thoughts on inherent vice was that, you know, it wouldn't be the film I would use to introduce anybody to Paul Thomas Anderson. Whereas there will be blood and no country. If I want to introduce somebody to the work of these fine filmmakers, these are the films I would use. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. And I can't, can't argue, can't argue with that. So with that being said, you know, do you, do, do you have these both as, are, are they nines? Are they tens? Like, what, where are they? Where are, where's There Will Be Blood in No Country? <laughs> there Will Be Blood was an eight until this recent viewing, and now that's a nine, and No Country is a nine as well. Okay, so it's ten, ten for me, and nine, nine for you. So, yeah, it's just this neck and neck, like, oh, what the fuck type, type thing. Is there is Zodiac better than these movies? Fuck. Um, I don't does know. It deserve, does it deserve to be there and rival them, you know? Yeah, I don't know what better means anymore. But for you, for you, like better in your in, in your mind, if you're like, no, this is this movie just is just the shit, you know, uh, that's what we do with these rankings, you know? Yeah, it's up there. It's it's pretty on par. Um, I've had that as a nine as well. This, you know, if 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 2007 could be represented as like the best of the like three best films, it would be those three movies. I think I don't think anyone will argue that. 
Not super bad? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Where is Shrek the third? Like, are we not yeah. gonna talk about this? Yeah. Well, and, and you know, you know, you you know, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, and he had a movie come out this year too. So it's just it's just bonkers. You know, Darjeeling. I love Darjeeling, it's got its issues, but Christ, you know, I this 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 year is unreal. Yeah, I mean, you know, fucking hot fuzz, Sweeney Todd, Harry Sweeney Potter Todd. and the Order of the Phoenix. Like it's, there's so many incredible films from most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great fucking year. I, I love it, man. I love doing this. I, I, I knew the whole time it was going to come down to which one is it? Which one is it? Is it no country? And, and I, I'm glad you picked no country as number one. And I picked there will be blood as number one. All right. On any given day, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's a coin toss. So with that being said, let's give some awards out to no country. Cause it deserves, it deserves all the praise it gets. And let's keep talking about it. Uh, we have the Quentin Tarantino award for best quote. Uh, we have the Ennio Morricone Award for Best Music Moment, which is pretty tough with uh, No Country. Yeah. Uh, we have the Philip, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for Best Performance. I think we know what's coming there. Uh, and then we, ha- we have the Roger Deakins Award for Best Scene. So take it away with your Tarantino. You got it, friendo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I've, got three, I've got three lines. Um, one of them you already mentioned earlier. It's when Moss decides to go back out there. His wife's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm fixing to do something dumber than hell, but I'm going anyways. It's (laughs) it's a great line, but I also think it kind of defines the movie. Um, Mm. It was what I was going to mention earlier, decided to save it for now. This movie punishes everyone who does the right thing. Yeah. This movie is all about, you know, the devil will win out eventually. And Javier is the devil. It's, It's fascinating. Anyone who tries to do something good gets blown away. Or fucked up. It's it's just it's brilliant. So, this is such an unforgiving film. Yeah, and, and and Anton basically the devil himself fucking buys those kids off at the end of the movie. He's like, "Fucking, I'm taking over the next generation too, bitch." Yeah, it's, it's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get we'll get more into it. yeah. Uh, <laughs> then my um my other two lines are from are from Anton. The first, uh, this is when he confronts Carson in the hotel room. Oh, <laughs> just look, uh, Carson walking up the stairs. Anton appears <laughs> fucking behind him, just limping. Yeah, <laughs> like he's fucking. And Carson knows. He knows. He's like, oh shit. <laughs> Wait, Jesus. He tells Carson, "Let me ask you something. If the rule you followed brought you to this, of what use was the rule?" Mm. way to make a man question his entire ideology before you blow him away got yeah talk about torture just he's making carson just like question who he is at his core before he kills him it's crazy yeah it's it's some it's some fucking jules winfield ezekiel twenty five seventeen shit you know it's like whoa okay <laughs> oh man you know if what you, you know if if God really led you here, like, is that someone you want to believe in? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, this is not what I want to think about before I'm about to die. <laughs> before I'm about to go either up or down. This is yeah. not the shit I want on my brain. I love when, I love when Carson says, you go to hell. And, and, and Anton's just like, all right. <laughs> and keeps going. Just keeps fucking slicing him up. Oh, or, or, or that when he picks his feet up. He picks his feet up from t- the, the blood touching his boot. He's like, Mm-mm, nope, and puts him up like he rests his boot. The way he does Carson is just so bad. <laughs> I love it. 
I would love to see like where this rivalry came from because there is such history here. And it's yep. Oh, so great. Yeah. Um, and then my third line is when Anton call or uh, Moss calls Carson and Anton answers and gives him an ultimatum and tells <laughs> Moss, I won't tell you you can save yourself because you can't. Like, mm. what a cold blooded thing to say to somebody. Like, regardless of how this pans out, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and Moss was warned by Wells. He was like, he's going to kill you for inconven- inconveniencing him, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> so good. I love that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Anton has about 30 lines that could be in a museum, you know? They're, it's that good. His character is like the very, it's, it's the personification of evil itself. Like everything, you know, guy gets shot, guy gets, you know, in a car accident, breaks an arm. N- nothing stops this man. He doesn't grimace. The entire fucking movie. It's, I don't think he feels pain. Like, I wonder if that's part of the character that we were never told. Like, can he feel pain? The the scene where he fixes his leg is breathtaking. He's like, this guy has done this a million times. And he'll do it a million times more to get his way, you know? Uh, God, what a character. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, I, I thought about this one for a long time today. Uh and I couldn't get Tommy Lee Jones' voice out of my head. <laughs> uh, I chose. I was. I was going between the, the 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 finishing lines where he's talking about the two dreams he had, but the the first lines of the movie is what I went with. Uh, what Ed Tom Bell uh, opens opens this up with, and he says, "I was sheriff of this county when I was 25 years old. Hard to believe. My grandfather was a lawman. Father too. Me and him was sheriffs at the same time. Him up in Plano. Me out here." I think he's pretty proud of that. I know I was. So good. <laughs> Some of the old-time sheriffs never even wore a gun. A lot of folks find that hard to believe. Jim Scarborough never carried one. That's the younger Jim. Gaston Boykins wouldn't wear one up in Comanche County. I always like to hear about the old-timers. Never missed a chance to do so. You can't help but compare yourself against the old-timers. Can't help but wonder how they would have operated in these times. There was this boy I sent to the electric chair in, uh, at Huntsville Hill. Here a while back, my arrest and my testimony, he killed a 14-year-old girl. Paper said it was a crime of passion, but he told me there wasn't any passion to it. Told me that he'd been planning to kill somebody for about as long as he could remember. Said that, said that if, if they turned, out, tur- uh, turned him out, he'd do it again. Said he was going to hell. Be there in about 15 minutes. I don't know what to make of that. I sure don't. The crime you see now, it's hard to even take its measure. It's not that I'm afraid of it. I always knew you had to be willing to die even to do this job. But I don't, know, I don't want to push my chips forward and go out and meet something I don't understand. A man would have to put his soul at hazard. He'd have to say, okay, I'll be a part of this world. Fuck. Christ. <laughs> Just fucking bonkers. There's so much in that that is like, ah. <laughs> It, 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 I mean, I love when movies, I love when a, a, a screenplay just sets you up, sets you up for what you're about to go into and, okay, I'll be a part of this world, you know, and, and then of course him at the end admitting, admitting to, I think it's his, his, uh, his uncle or his cousin at that shack and he's like, uh, I'm, I'm overmatched, man, like, I, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm looking at these days, you know, and that goes back to the beginning when he's talking about this shit that's just crazy, you know? And 
he has moments. He's the, he has these lapses where his mind, he says his mind wanders and he just talks about the darkest shit. He's like uh, reading the newspaper. He's like, yeah, listen here. You know, there's a couple out in California. They bury bodies in their backyard. You know, he's like, the only reason they got caught is because someone naked with only a leash on ran out, you know, eh. <laughs> what the fuck is consumes this guy, you know? And it's, it's just years of being in this world of being, being a, being a sheriff and seeing evil over and over. Just crazy. Oh, it reminded me so much of Sam Elliott's narration in Lebowski, like just yeah. setting the standard of this world of the story that's about to unfold and the people you're about to interact with. Like it's a story that's going to go on with or without you. And I, I yeah. love that. Like the, yeah. the phrase, you know, Jim Scarborough, that's the younger Jim. Like we're supposed to be like, okay, yeah, I know him. Move on. Like continue. Yeah. As if we're supposed to know just where Comanche County is, you know, he, yeah. he, he, it's like he's talking to his brother or something, you know, it's just weird. Yeah. The Coens so always, every, with the Coens, you feel like you're just like a guest along for the ride. Like this wasn't made for you. You just happen to be watching it. Yes. Yeah. You're a bystander just like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Fucking fucking a man. Just such control. When you when you when you start No Country for Old Men, it puts you in this place, and then immediately you say Anton Sugar fucking choke a guy out, you know, and you're like, oh, that's what he means. Okay, you know, <laughs> fucking hell. Uh, Jesus, the Ennio Morricone Award. This one's the hardest because uh, No Country is famous for not having any uh, a score or really any music at all going on, and they. You know, that's a big decision. That's a huge decision. And I think it works out very well for this film. It kind of puts it in its own, own little place. But they have Carter Burwell at their dispense always. This guy works with them on every film, basically. So it wasn't like they couldn't find someone amazing to make music. And I'm sure the music would have been great for No Country. But they chose to make that decision. So there's very few things you can choose for this. Well, Carter Burwell is still credited as like music by and I looked into that and he did he recorded about 15 minutes worth of ambient sound that's that's the score just just like nothing in the background they had nothing recorded for the movie it's <laughs> insane um but I went with the one like real music scene of the movie and that's in uh when Moss wakes up in Mexico and yes. the mariachi band is just in his face and he's like he's like okay yep Mexico yeah 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 great great scene where he's he throws the suitcase and then he's like fucking like about to die and if those guys weren't there you know who knows what would happen yeah i mean just look at that wound like that was he was bleeding out bad like i don't know how he made it that far yeah because he's just a different breed that guy he's the ultimate badass (laughs) (laughs) uh I, I chose I chose the credit song "Blood Trails" by by Carter Burwell when the end credits play. After after uh, Ed Tom Bell says, "Then I woke up," and you can hear it's such a oh, man. It's on par with any ending I've ever seen. It, it it black, and you can hear the clock in his house ticking. And it's you know he's 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 like, what did I do all of this for? I'm retired now. What, why did I do all of this? And like, now it's about to just be over. You know, I'm about to just fucking, I, I, I'm retired and next step is death. And the clock is literally ticking on him. And, and, then it, and then it cuts to black and you see written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. And you're like, oh shit, masterpiece, you know? And then 
and then and then Carter Burwell's uh, track Blood Trail starts slowly playing, and I watched the entire credits last night because I was just like, I love this movie. I couldn't I couldn't stop thinking about it. I started getting on Letterboxd and getting on different little things that uh, the way people interpret this movie, you know, and what it means. Uh, and it's you know, Blood Trails is playing the entire time. So hats off to that song. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's so I was. The whole time I'm thinking, like, how are we going to do this award? I was going to text you and be like, are we doing something different for this one? Like, how's this going to work out? And then we got a little bit of music, and I'm like, okay. And even if there was nothing, I would have said, like, what's your favorite sound in the movie? Which would probably be probably be Anton's fucking crazy machine that he shoots. <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I like the, I like the sound editing in um, the scene when he's getting the briefcase out of the vent, out of the duct, the air duct. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So cool. Oh I man! Love the, uh, the sound of um, Anton's suppressed shotgun. Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> just fucking, just taking all the air out of you. Yeah, so cool. And when he shoots, you know, uh, you can just see uh, you're like with a shotgun. It's it's so fucking devastating. There's like six different bullet holes, and you're like the guy behind this is this fucking menace. You know, <laughs> but boom! <laughs> it's so awesome. It's it's really this like ultimate ultimate masculine badass like ah like i love movies i love westerns um he's he's amazing uh <laughs> that that leads us right into the psh the philip seymour hoffman award i i know where i'm going this is javier's game yeah yep yeah 100 <laughs> anton anton hands down yeah and we've you know we spoke to, we spoke at length throughout this whole episode about why he deserves this it's a performance of the ages it's pure psychopathic evil there's no conscience behind this guy at all no glimpse of anything it's just determination and fury and there's so few villains that have that level of darkness in them i mean usually even you know fucking darth vader Gollum, they get some sort of redemptive arc this guy is just hardcore murder uh but you know it's also a situation that moss created himself he did the, you know, he, he stole drug money. That shit's going to come back to bite you. Yeah. Um, but also, I love our intro to him. He's just, when we meet I, Anton, he's getting arrested. We don't know what yeah. he's getting arrested for. He's just getting arrested. And he chokes out the cop with this gleeful fucking smile. <laughs> and then just washes his, his bloodied wrist up, hails, you know, steals a cop car, hails down some poor guy and just asked him, will you, will you stand still, please, sir? Well, he fucking blows out his skull with an air gun. Like, what the fuck? That's our introduction to this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just kills, like, immediately, you know, is just murdering anything in his path. And, and then he, he, he murders the two guys that, that are working with him, and they go to the scene, and he just fucking shoots them both. And he's like, fuck you. I'm the one who's going to get this money. I don't really care what you guys say. Yeah, it's got uh, nothing to do with business loyalty. He's not doing this for anybody. He kills anybody connected to this scheme. It's all about th- the inconvenience. Yeah. Like you thought you could get my way. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not. Yeah. He, it's, it's his award. The Philip Seymour Hoffman is easily hobby of our Dems, but the, the Deacons this is the hardest one, right? You know, picking a singular scene because it's like, well, I, you know, the first 20 minutes, you know, the, the last 20 minutes, you know, you, you like want to pick these massive moments, these stretches, because the movie runs together so well. 
but you got to pick, you got to pick a scene. And what is it? I knew exactly what it was going to be the second it started because I could not stop smiling. I was muttering to myself, like Christ. And just, like, <laughs> I was into it so hard. And it's, it's <laughs> Anton at the gas station. It's uh, yeah. that scene is so pivotal to the character and so scary. It, and it all just comes from like this poor old man asking like, so how's the weather up there? That's all, that's all happens. And that right there, it means to Anton, someone is going to remember me. He must be silenced. And, but it also, he has issues with um, this guy marrying into the business. Like he's not a real man or something. Yeah. I love that. He's like, so you married into it. He's like, well, I wouldn't say that. He's like, that's what it is. <laughs> There's no way to say it. That is, that is the situation. Yeah. He, he's so superior to, to everyone around him. You know, that he, he's quicker. His, his, his reactions are quicker. His, his responses are quicker. His comebacks are quicker, you know, and you just can't, you can't last in a conversation with him. You're <laughs> fucked. You don't want to. The second you start talking to this guy, you're like, I really wish I hadn't said anything to this. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, it's brilliant. Just, you know, from, you know, just what business is it of yours? Friendo. Just the friendo. Like, okay, yeah, it's so unnerving taking out the coin and just being like, call it. It's like, what? Call it. What do I stand to win? Everything. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said, I haven't put up anything. He said, you've been putting up your whole life. You just didn't fucking know it. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, he's making me question every action I take. <laughs> Corner's been traveling 22 years to get here. And now it's here. I can't yeah. call it for you. It wouldn't be fair. Call it. And then he's like, that's your lucky quarter. He's like, don't go put it in your pocket because then it would just become another coin, which is what it is. Like, what? <laughs> This guy's fucking crazy. Well, I love when the guy calls it and Anton just goes, well done. Like, he's almost annoyed <laughs> that the guy got it right. It's like a kid hitting a pinata and you want to see him fuck up, but you're like, ah, shit, you got it. Yeah. That whole okay. scene, I'm just, I've seen this a dozen times and I'm always like on the edge of my seat, super fucking tense during that scene. It's so brilliant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that scene with all my heart. You know, it's, and I, I, we've said this many times and kind of definitely played, played this up with Anton. You, you, with his character, it's exactly what you want. It's kind of like Hannibal Lecter where you're like, I'm freaked out, but I cannot stop watching this guy. I'm so excited when he's on screen and I can't get enough. I want more, you know, I want more, I want more, I want more. And really you don't, you, you don't need more though. Like you don't need that backstory. You know, the, the beauty of it is the, the, you know, the less is more, you know, with, with a character like this and God damn, he's, he's brilliant. Uh, because it's not my Deacons. I do think that scene at the end when he visits Carla Jean and he fucking checks his shoe after walking out of the house, you're like, uh, like you knew it was going to happen, you know? And you're like, but you, you're like, God damn it, dude. Like, can't you fucking let one go? <laughs> and I love when, I love when she basically is, is she's the character who talks about what the movie is. She's like, that's bullshit. You do have a choice. It's not up to fate. She's like, you're, you're choosing, you're choosing to do this. You're making these actions. You just want to leave it up to the coin so you don't have to deal with the repercussions in your mind later. 
you're the you're the fucking devil (laughs) and you're doing it by choice you're not leaving up to some coin you know it's not fate it's you're making that game up but his game is too powerful for all the men that he comes across he's too powerful she's the only one who really calls him out and god i love that ending like fucking shit (laughs) and then he breaks his arm and you know all, all that stuff is just is just crazy he's he's the man he's a great great character um my, my I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Uh, I didn't know going into the movie, I was like, I, I don't know what my Deacons is going to be. This is going to be hard as shit. There's so many stretches of the movie that I love. I think the, I think the stretch where he goes back, uh, Moss goes back to the scene and is like, oh, fuck. And then he starts getting chased and he's running and he goes into the water. He kills the dog and he's got to go back home. You're like, what was that? Like, that was pure genius filmmaking. But the... First hotel scene is great, but the second hotel in Eagle Pass, yeah. my God. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I'll just break, I'll break down why I love it. it, it he gets to the hotel, tells the clerk, he gives him like 200 bucks. He's like, hey, if any fucking swinging dick comes around here, you let me know about it, all right? Any, any swinging dick <laughs> goes up to his room. Uh, too bad Anton already already has has a tracker and you just don't know it and he's like he's he's he can't go to sleep I mean how could you you know you got this fucking boogeyman chasing you and he's laying down Moss is like fuck no way and he starts opening the money and looking and he's like oh my god there's a tracking device in this motherfucker and he realizes he's on my ass you know sets it down on sets it down on the table gets his fucking gun out, gets his rifle out, and just sits on the bed waiting for him. And this is where you're like, okay, this guy's a veteran. This guy's done this kind of shit before. You know, <laughs> you know, he knows what he's doing. And then you have the genius stuff from Anton where he goes up to the door, you see his boots, you see the shadows. And then he walks away, turns off the light in the hallway, comes back, bolts the door open. <laughs> you're like, ah! And then fucking... Uh, uh, Josh Brolin r- jumps out the window, throws the money out, goes down, is getting shot at. And then that's where you're like, oh my God, the Coens, they are on top of everything right here. Because the geography of the hotel, you can be as dumb as they come and you can tell what's happening right here in this scene. It doesn't spell it out for you, but you can tell just by how smart these two guys are that they've tracked everything. And that's why Josh Brolin over and over when the camera's on him, he's like, motherfucker. Like he knows where I'm going to go. He knows where I'm going to go every single time I make a move. And so he goes out, comes back through the, the fucking lobby so that he can go out the back door. <laughs> You're like, Oh my God. Cause he knows that Anton is, is, is tracking his every move. He's trying to stay ahead of him, even though he can't. And then you, they get outside, they both wound each other, you know? And you're like, Oh my God, these two guys are just a match made in heaven. You know, it's like, it's like Bonnie and Clyde. They just don't fucking know it, you know? And, and to see them both kind of go away wounded. And uh, that's where Anton's like, okay, I'm going to regroup. I'm going to go get this thing fixed up and then I'm going to kill him. And Moss is like, I'm going to go hide the money so that there's no reason to kill me. And that whole stretch is just mind blowing is, is cinema at its finest is action it's on par with any action, you know, it's like, it's like as good as fucking die hard, you know, and the action in this movie has no business being that good because it's dramatic. It's full of great dialogue. It's a Western. And then out of nowhere, you have this intense one-on-one shootout between these two just freaks of nature who seem to just be able to survive anything. 
and it's it's the best. The Eagle Pass shootout is one of my favorite things I've ever seen in my life. It, if I'm if I'm scrolling through uh, the HBO channels while I'm at home and I, I catch No Country for Old Men, chances are I'm going to watch the whole thing. But especially if this this scene's about to come, I'm like, oh fuck yeah, buckle up, you know? Like this is this is what it's all about. I love this scene, the tracker. The way they both know the lay of the land without really being there for very long is so cool. You can tell they're both um, experienced veterans in some way. And we know that Josh Brolin, we know Moss is an actual veteran who fought in Vietnam. And Anton is a guy who's killed countless people. So it's just a showdown for the ages. Yeah, great choice. I nearly had this myself. The scene, like when Anton bolts out the door lock, I'd forgotten about that bit and it made me jump. Yeah, me too. Me I'm too. Like, oh, I, shit. We're in a horror movie now. <laughs> it, yes, it does that. It does that shit. It does that. Uh, wait a minute. Is this a horror movie? Is this a straight up boogeyman chasing man like horror movie? Is that what we're watching? And then and then it takes takes its, you know, uh, liberties with just doing all kinds of other crazy cool shit. You know, I think the, the scene where it cuts to Tommy Lee Jones, uh, driving into uh, 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 Del, Re- Del Rio. Yeah. Yeah. No, they end up there at El Paso when Josh Brolin dies at the El Paso hotel. Cause uh, Carla Jean's about to, about to fly, That's fly right. out from there. To, yeah. Okay. And the, and the fucking Mexican cartel guys are the ones who end up actually killing him. And all you see is them fucking, you know, scurrying off. And you're like, wait, what? And you hear the girl screaming at the pool and you're like, oh my God, Moss is dead. You know, it's, it's right up there with when Leo dies in The Departed. You're like, wait, what? Our basically our main player is just gone like that, and you just have to keep moving. Yeah, sometimes you know life doesn't work out the way it's supposed to. Sometimes people die at the wrong moment, and sometimes there isn't the resolution you expected. But it makes sense in this world because the Coens are preparing you for it. They're preparing you for an unconventional chase. I mean, yes. Anton is played like fucking Michael Myers. Nothing takes this guy down. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. This is this is something special. And I love that you never know anything about this guy. I doubt Anton Shiger is his real name. Like this dude is yeah. just a, you know, he's the John Wick of the cartel. Y- yes, exactly. Yeah. God damn. That haircut. Oh, that haircut. So it's, creepy. It's so creepy and so unnecessary. Like he wants people to leave him alone. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's exactly what it is. He's he's like, yeah, just just stay away from me. You know, just don't get my way, or you'll be very very sorry. I get in <laughs> your way. Yeah. If I choose to, you will have no choice. Yeah. We will talk once, and then no one will ever see you again. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, what a film. Uh, uh, this was truly a blast. Um, one day we'll do There Will Be Blood. We'll fucking do this shit all over again. I have no problem talking about both these movies for two hours. You know, uh, it'd be really cool to do There Will Be Blood um, awards. It'd be equally as hard. We'll, we'll, we'll take a break from 2007 for, for quite some time. But one day, one day, There Will Be Blood will we'll be on the schedule. Uh, maybe when PTA comes out with his next film. You know, who knows? In like five years. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that was great, man. I, I had an absolute blast. We got a complete change of pace next week um, with uh, Oscar Sunday. Uh, tomorrow uh, on Sneak Preview, uh, I believe it's going to be you and Caleb talking about the new screen. 
new Scream. Yes, uh, the first major release of 2022. And I will be saying my bit about the tragedy of Macbeth. Not really up Caleb's alley. I get it. But I'm definitely looking forward to that. And I know we're both, I think the whole team is super pumped about Scream. Um, he's already oh, seen yeah. it, told me it was amazing. So I'm, 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 ex- I'm excited. Yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't wait to see this. I'll probably see it sometime during the week. I will, you know, get to it when I can. I just, during November, I watched all four screams. So like, I'm just ready. I was, I was in a huge scream, you know, just mood, uh, mode. And I was like, I, I'm just gearing up for the new one. So I love the scream movies. They're just a lot of fun. Uh, on Filmgasm on Wednesday, episode 172, Jesus, uh, you, you and I will be talking about one of my favorite 80s movies, uh, Michael Mann's Thief. Ah, yes, I can't wait. That's a, a movie I bought while we were in Los Angeles uh, on Criterion. So very excited to watch that uh, be on Filmgasm for the first time in a while. That'll be really cool. And then on Friday uh, for Beyond the Bad, you and Caleb will be covering Showgirls. <laughs> Just saying Scream, Thief, and Showgirls. Just cracks me up. One of these things is not like the other. Yeah, pick the one that doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't line up. And then, and then to just throw another uh, wrench into it next week on Oscar Sunday, episode eighty-six. Uh, this is what I was hinting at earlier when it's a film that neither of us have seen. Nineteen seventy-three, Day for Night. It's gonna be gonna be cool. This is another one I own on Criterion. Um, very excited to finally watch it. I've owned it for quite some time. I bought it on a whim, just kind of like fuck it. Let's see if this is any good. I've heard great things. It won. Uh, best foreign language film. So I, I like to try to see all of those, you know, when I can just nice and slow process, but it's fun. So yeah, complete change of pace for Oscar Sunday. And uh, yeah, please, please listen to the rest of our shit. I, I'm very excited for thief. It's just such a great movie. I can't wait for you to see it. And I think it's Michael Mann's masterpiece. And that's saying a lot because the guy's got a cool ass career. So it's gonna be a lot of fun this week. Uh, and you know, buckle up, watch some movies, go see scream. Watch Tragedy of Macbeth on fucking Apple TV, you know? Just just watch more shit. Watch Michael Clayton. Watch Juno, you know? <laughs> watch Atonement if you have the fucking stomach for it. <laughs> well, that's all we got for you guys today. Had a lot of fun. Uh, hope you guys have a good week, and we'll see you later.